1: Last year, this gentleman was the first team preview. This year, he shall be as well. Fred Katz going to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I am extremely interested to talk about this team, perhaps even the team I am most interested to discuss quite an off season for the thunder fred
2: i assume the reason that you're most interested in discussing it is because you just can't wait to talk to me
1: yeah well if i i can't wait for you to select the water out of the refrigerator that you most want to get at summer league (laughs) but i also can't wait to talk to you so yeah let's uh Fred, Fred. Uh, for those who haven't heard the story, we were headed like a dinner reservation, and Fred delayed us by checking literally every single water in the fridge to find which one was the coldest. Although in Vegas, uh,
2: that actually can't be uh, an important test. F- figuratively, every single water. Literally, most of the waters. <laughs> It was Uh, an interesting offseason, though. It was quite an interesting offseason. They, uh, you know, it's funny because going into the offseason, Sam Presti at his exit interview talked about how the goal for this offseason, he talks a lot about continuity. He used the word continuity like seven times or eight times during a 20 minute exit interview. And I kind of thought, given the the lack of flexibility that they seemed to have on the roster at the time, that that was just going to kind of be the case. They were going to have a similar roster. They had the youngest roster in the playoffs last year, and they just figured their best chance of improvement was hoping that Jeremy Grant got better, hoping that Alex Sabrinas got better, and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, it turns out they had a lot more flexibility than, uh, than I and probably most people thought going into the offseason. Uh, they had probably more flexibility than anyone other than Kevin Pritchard
1: thought that they had. Ha 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 that's accurate so uh, i think where i want to start though and obviously the paul george acquisition is huge we'll get to that but generally the format i like to do when we start talking about these teams and how good they're going to be is to just establish a baseline of where they were last season 47 and 35 a year ago however the overall net rating not really commensurate with that uh they actually had a negative 0.2 net rating but do you think just before adding in paul george is the 47 wins more indicative of what this team was what the baseline should be for this team or was that 0.2 net rating which would be slightly below 500 more indicative
2: i think if you look at last year's last year's team it was probably a little bit closer to a 500 team than it was i don't know if it was a 500 team totally uh but it was probably closer to like a 43 win team than it was a 47 win team a lot of the reason why they got up to 47 wins was just because their their clutch time numbers were ridiculous and and, and people think Westbrook with that kind of stuff. And obviously, Russ's clutch time performance was was incredible. And, and I'm sure one of the main reasons why a lot of people who voted for him for MVP actually voted for him, he averaged 60 points per 36 minutes during games that are within five points with five or fewer minutes left to go, which is the highest in the history of that stat, which has been tracked back to 1996. And it wasn't just him. I mean, they had one of the best clutch time defenses in the NBA last year, uh, on top of having one of the best clutch time offenses. I think they had the second best net rating in clutch time behind. San Antonio Uh, they were they just they just went off during these close games in the final few minutes and and obviously while that stuff happened and it was great and it was a it was amazing for them that they were able to pull that stuff off that doesn't necessarily uh you know it's not a good way to project into the following season so I think if that roster carried over and everybody had the exact same season they probably would have had closer to like a 43 win team than like a 47 but obviously the roster is is super different and 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 there's also anticipated improvement from some of the young guys like Abrinas and and some others too
1: yeah And what really killed them, of course, was negative 8.9 net rating when Russell Westbrook was off the floor, 97.4 offensive rating when he was off the floor. Backup point guard was an open sore all season. And the acquisition of George, while again, you know, if we're going to say, hey, they brought back that same roster uh, that they probably would have won fewer games, I think it's because they addressed those weaknesses in theory when Westbrook was off the floor, assuming of course that... Billy Donovan is going to stagger his guys. But by getting Raymond Felton an adequate backup point guard, we hope, although he is older, it could fall off a cliff. And then, of course, Paul George, the secondary scorer that Victor Oladipo was unable to be last year with Westbrook off the floor. I think they've solved their biggest weakness from last year before we even get into the fact that, you know, Paul George is going to play 35 minutes a game and a lot of it with Westbrook.
2: I think that's totally true. And you know what? Even if Ray Felton falls off a cliff, like he's probably going to be better than Samaje, right? Like, I just, I can't see a scenario in which he's not an upgrade on what they had at backup point guard last year, whether it was, you know, the short while that Payne was the the second string guy or Samajay Christian was, which was most of the year, or like the five games that Norris Cole was. I mean, during an elimination game, Billy Donovan wasn't even, I mean, he he went back and forth with his backup point guards during that Houston playoff series last year. And then when it got to game five, the elimination game, he just, he just benched Christian and benched Cole altogether. And went with Oladipo as his backup point guard, which is probably something he should have tried earlier in the year but it it just looked off because it was a role that oladipo hadn't really played and uh they just they weren't in a position at any point i think to trust their backup point guards even if there were times where donovan was showing that he did trust uh trust christian playing him in crunch time and that kind of stuff so just just whatever felton does i think he's going to end up being an upgrade on what they have there and obviously it goes without saying i mean paul george is whatever you want to rank him whether you think he's top 12 top 15 whatever it is like he's he's one of the best players in the league and he's just a massive upgrade on the wings that they had last year, and and he can just do so much more with and and frankly without the ball too, which is really important for Russell Westbrook. Just the way he is able to get himself open and run off screens and and run those curls and all that stuff. It's it's going to be a big help for that team.
1: Yeah, I mean to quantify what they had at backup point guard last year, Cameron Payne in his twenty games, six point one per forty percent true shooting. Kristen probably the least efficient player in the league who played this many minutes. He played nine hundred and seventy three minutes. PER, 39% true shooting, and an okay defensive player, but not just an absolute world beater there. So just to get competent production at that backup point guard slot, and then also have George as a second scorer, I think is going to be huge. All right, we'll talk more about how they're going to play with Paul George in a moment right after this work. So my travels are finally over. Get to hang out at home, relax a little bit. We're only doing two episodes a week. I'm not staying up until 2 in the morning every night. I don't have a ton of games to watch. That means I have more time to cook and cook dinner with my girlfriend with Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than $10 a meal, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. They got a lot of tomato stuff this month. Meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. Whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprese salad. I've always been really impressed by the quality of their produce, the quality of all their ingredients. If you're going to go to a high-end grocery store, much more expensive, I think, especially when you consider the amount of food waste that you're going to have. And it doesn't actually get delivered right to your door in perfectly pre-portioned ingredients with easy-to-follow recipes the way Blue Apron does. So check out this week's menu. I think if you just go to their website, blueapron.com capspace is that URL. You can get your first three meals free with free shipping. And if you're on the fence, just go to that URL and check it out. See whether these recipes look good to you. I find them quite mouthwatering, personally. BlueApron.com/capspace is the URL. Blue Apron: A Better Way to Cook. So, yeah, I mean, I think where I want to start here with the acquisition of George, who do you think is going to start for this team?
2: I think obviously So obviously, you're going to see Russ at, Russ at the one. I think you're going to end up seeing Robertson at the two, uh, who they brought back on that three-year, thirty million dollar deal. I think bringing in Paul George actually incentivizes them to bring back Andre Robertson more. Uh, uh, they, they've always liked him more. As, as Billy Donovan has, has outwardly said, he thinks he's better as a two guarding ones and twos as opposed to guarding bigger guys. But even so, like I think the beauty of Robertson is he showed such a versatile defensive season last year guarding all types of perimeter oriented players of all sizes and all skill sets and all of that that, you know, Paul George doesn't have to on every single night guard the best uh, perimeter player. That's what you're going to have with Andre Robertson for. So I think you're still going to see him bounce around. And I think he's honestly, you know, considering what he is, he's a nice fit next to Paul George. They've always liked him next to a big, versatile wing, a la Kevin Durant, a la Paul George, all that. And then you're going to have George at the three, Patterson at the four, and uh, Steven Adams at the five.
1: Yeah. So Patterson, you think, projects as the starter at the four right now?
2: Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, just because of his spacing, he, he knocks down about 40% corner threes. He's a good catch and shoot guy. He doesn't need the ball. He seems to be a nice fit next to Russell Westbrook. He's 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 shown the ability to to switch on to you know, wing defenders in desperate situations. And I think they might play with their crunch time lineups a lot. And look, we've seen two years of Billy Donovan now, and every single thing we've seen from Billy Donovan as an NBA coach says he is going to play with lineups throughout the regular season. He's consistent on his starters, but who the first guy who comes off the bench might change depending on the opponent, the second guy off the bench, the lineups that he's using in crunch time, the lineups he's using in the middle of the second quarter, whatever it is, they're going to change sometimes seemingly just totally randomly uh, throughout the regular season, maybe even during the first couple games of the playoffs before he gets a regular season, like before he gets a regular rotation, like we saw uh, during that Houston series this past season. So I, I think I think we're going to see lots of different lineups from him. He's always a guy who plays a ton of that. Uh, but I think from the starting standpoint, um, I, I think that's what we're going to end up seeing. I think the fit just makes the most sense. And I think part of what incentivized Patterson to end up coming to Oklahoma City was was a starting role, which is something that he didn't really have in Toronto.
1: Well, we got some news in the last couple of days that Patterson is having knee surgery. That knee, troubled him all of last year really he had an extremely poor playoffs for the Raptors just couldn't hit a shot really it seemed like the second year in a row he couldn't hit a shot in the playoffs I've always liked him the on-off numbers have always liked him he's got some defensive versatility to switch and basically just stays out of the way on offense and and shoots threes but that's a, a valuable player in today's nba at the four what is the level of concern about this surgery especially given the fact that that knee is something that bothered him most last season
2: you know i'm not this is not necessarily my opinion i'm not qualified to give an opinion on this but just from what from what i've heard from talking to people no no one really seems to be concerned at all they're saying four to six weeks from the time of the surgery which was uh what what august august 9th or august 10th when he had the surgery which puts him on track to be back not even just for the preseason but even just for for training camp i think 6 weeks from from the day of the surgery is like September 21st and training camp doesn't even start till September 26th. So it's relatively routine. It's it's just a scope. You know, they call it like in layman's terms, it's just a it's really just a cleaning. It's almost like they go in there with a vacuum and and they and they take out some of the some of the debris that's gotten into the knee. The Thunder were aware of this when when he signed, they they wanted to see if it was necessary to have the surgery necessary to have the surgery. So they kind of put him through rehab for for about a month after signing him. And then it got to a point where they said, all right, if he doesn't have the surgery now, then he's going to end up missing some time and they didn't want him to miss time. So he had it now so I don't think they seem concerned at all it's not like he's up there in years even though he's he's had this before I think they think that this is gonna this the scope is something that's gonna help him and and he's gonna be able to move on without uh many more concerns but uh you know that's 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 what I'm hearing from them at least
1: yeah color me a little bit more skeptical and this is someone who loved that signing a few things number one that this was a chronic problem for him last year number two When a guy who you think is pretty good gets way less than you think he should on the free agent market and then has to have a surgery, that's always a little bit of a concern, right? That some teams, doctors may were like, hey, you know what? Like, we don't want to go in this direction here. And perhaps it was just the fact that he needed this small surgery. But then the third component of it to me that worries is... They always say, oh, four to six weeks, you know, like that's Jan Mahimi was four to six weeks last year, right? And the majority of these, Patrick Beverly is a counterexample last year. But when you look at guys who are like, oh, it's going to be four to six weeks, guys who try to come back from knee surgery in less than two months, the track record of that is not great. So maybe, and maybe if he takes a full two months, it won't matter. He'll be able to get back into the swing of things. That would put him right at the start of the regular season. Maybe he just has a slow start. Uh, But Uh, all that uh, gives me a little bit more cause for concern.
2: Sure. And that's fair. And and look, I mean, the Thunder took a similar approach with Cameron Payne last year. I mean, different injury, of course, he had the, the, uh, the pin, he had to have the pin put in his foot and they let him play summer league. And they, they tried to have, he was in a walking boot for parts of the 2015, 16 season. And, uh, you know, they, they let him play summer league and he performed well, but he was, he was playing while hurt and they ended up having the surgery, you know, at some time in July and they figured he'll be back in time for training camp and he was. He came back in time for training camp, but then he re injured the foot during training camp and ended up being out until like the very end of December or beginning of January around that time. So, uh, you know, obviously a completely different injury and a different situation, but there, you know, there are situations where if you rush him back, you know, Serge Ibaka has rushed back from, from some stuff too that we've seen, um, you know, Kevin Durant end up having to have multiple foot surgeries. Surgeries as well. So, you know, Thunder fans have seen guys rush back before. Uh, That being said, this is a lot more routine of a surgery than, like, you know, having a Jones fracture or something like that. Um, you know the arthroscopic scope is is a little bit um it's a little bit it's a little bit more I should say it's just it's just an easier surgery for doctors to do and it's it's a much sure. uh, lower risk one so it's something that I I mean I get what you're saying the the money thing I think is the best the best example of it but it's not something that I would I think raises a major red flag until you know unless you see him come back and he's just noticeably slower or something like that
1: yeah no obviously we'll, we'll keep an open mind there uh, I think going back to the starters. What I would like to see them do is just play a ton of Robertson at the four and find a way to get more shooting on the floor, whether it's a or McDermott. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, Ennis, Cantor, Abrinus, and McDermott all playing together, or even two of those three guys playing together, even if it is on the second unit. I think that could be a problem defensively. And then also I would just like to see them get a, a little bit more shooting on the floor and then have, although Robertson might play more as kind of a traditional four- Anyway, with Patterson out there spacing the floor, really having like a total knockdown guy out there could make this team like absolutely unstoppable uh, on offense. Whereas Patterson is kind of like, all right, you got to guard him a little bit. He spaces the floor, but like you're not freaking out if he takes a three. Whereas uh, Abrinas, if he becomes a shooter that I I expect him to to get to that level this year, then McDermott obviously has a nice track record from three as well.
2: I think that's a good point, and and I, I it's definitely possible that at some point in the season they go to something like that. I think they're certainly going to play lineups like that a lot. You know, angling Robertson towards towards playing the four more. I think it's hard to start Robertson at the four though because I don't know if he can guard every single four. I think with the late the way the league is moving, he can he can guard many if not if not most of the starting fours in the league because a lot of them just kind of spot up. But but the the bigger guys, the really bigger guys, like the more conventional throwbacky types of fours. I don't think he's capable of guarding those. Like he even struggles with like, he even struggles with a Danilo Gallinari type where a guy, a guy who's, who's bigger than him and who can both shoot and then go and post him up because Robertson really, in terms of just his body type and his size, like he's really a, he's a two, he's slender, he's strong, but he's, he's slender. And that's kind of part of why they like him against ones and twos. Cause he's about the quickness of a one and the two. And he still has that length to where he can, he can be stronger than those guys and longer than those guys. But I, I, I think, I think they might, find it a little bit difficult to start him just kind of blanket start him at the four but i wouldn't be surprised if that was a lineup they played a ton and they played a ton in crunch time too
1: yeah and i think coaches to me should be a little more flexible about whom they start uh, even in the regular season that where you can start robertson in some of those matchups if you're going against the pelicans and uh, anthony davis uh, maybe you could start patterson uh, instead um uh, so they brought in paul george westbrook of course uh, famously had the highest usage rate in nba history last Last year, over forty-one percent. uh Is he going to change the way that he plays with Paul George? There, there are some who say too that uh, Draymond Green would be among them. Who, who says uh, that Westbrook shot uh, Kevin Durant out of town? uh and, and that might be simplistic, but is there a feeling that Russ is going to change how he plays now with George in the fold? Especially because in theory, they are trying to recruit George to stay here in the long term.
2: I think it all depends on how you define change how he plays. Like I, I don't think he's gonna have a usage rate upwards of forty percent again this year. Like I, I don't know if that's if that's possible. If he does, this team is going to have serious issues uh, figuring out how to be compatible on the court. And and I say that thinking that Paul George of like every top twenty player in the league, Paul George is about as good of a of a player that you compare with Russell Westbrook from a stylistic standpoint because he's so good and willing off the ball and as a catch and shoot guy. And and all of that, and, and it just is a tremendous secondary ball handler. So I, I say that even even while acknowledging that. But I, I think being ball dominant, like that's part of Russ's, you know, basketball DNA. You know, even with Durant there, we were still seeing usages in the low thirties and that kind of stuff, stuff that you know was was coming close to leading the league in, in many, uh, many of those years. And and I think we're still going to see that. To me, I think the biggest thing is that when Russ is off the ball, I think he he needs to figure out how to play off the ball because historically when he is off the ball in those seldom moments he's pretty stagnant he doesn't really set screens he doesn't run off screens he doesn't really cut he just kind of hangs out whether it's in the corner whether it's on the wing he just kind of hangs out wherever he is and he waits for the ball to come back to him and I think if they can figure out ways to use him off the ball and keep him active maybe it'll 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 help him settle down to a 32% usage to where you can have him at 32 and you can have Paul George in the in the high 20s or something and, and it can work similarly in terms of distribution to how it worked with Westbrook and and Durant, and I think that way you can kind of keep everybody happy, you can keep defenses guessing, and and you can turn in what might end up being a pretty good offense.
1: Yeah, so uh, we talked about Patterson. You think he's going to start... I would kind of be surprised if he ends up, sorry, I think, especially with the injury. and Maybe that's, well, let me ask you this. Do you know that that's what their plan is? Or, or I mean, not know, but have you heard that? Or are you just, is that just your own uh, supposition?
2: I know, I know that that's, that's, that was the plan when he came in. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure it's subject to change. I'm sure if, if, if someone comes out and blows him out of the water in training camp preseason, they think, look how much better this lineup is, or look how much better this guy is. I'm sure they're flexible on it. Like, it's not like Patrick Patterson is going to, you know, has the star power to be able to shoot something like that down. But I know at the time of signing him, the plan was to start him. Okay,
1: yeah, I think that although Patterson has been this bench guy, a lot of that was Dwayne Casey being like, well, you know, we started him for five games and his stats weren't good. So we're going to move him back to the bench. Like there's this feeling he somehow like doesn't have the mentality to start. They were loath to start him in the playoffs, which uh, to their detriment, I thought. But yeah, I guess he is really the by far the best natural four. On the roster, Grant brings more problems with shooting. Playing he and Robertson together can be tough. So, I, I guess it does make the most sense to start him. I definitely think that that's the case. And then you can bring Grant off the bench. He's kind of a, a little better fit, maybe with Cantor. Cantor is interesting. You know, I'm not sure now that they have Paul George again, they've got some more depth. How much do you think he fits in? Like, how much is he really going to play? Because I think they also want to get to some lineups where they have maybe. Maybe Patterson and Grant, or Robertson and Grant playing at the four and five where they can switch. I know Donovan closed some games with lineups like that last year as well.
2: I think there's a decent chance we see Canner's uh, minutes go down a little bit this year. I think it's totally possible. He's he's hovered around 20 minutes uh, in the last couple of years under Donovan, and I think it's possible we see that number drop. To I don't think he's like going to fall out of the rotation or anything. I think he's still going to be a regular because he helped. He helped a lot last year. He's a he's a fantastic offensive player, and and something that he keeps saying. I I spoke to Ennis a week and a half ago, and and he was telling me one of the things he's working on this summer is is shooting threes, and he wants to be a guy who can stretch the floor and be able to shoot. Threes. Um, and I think he recognizes that his offensive rebounding and his post game are, are what make him valuable. But if if he can be someone who can at least be a threat from three, someone who can at least pop as opposed to roll every time, who can at least pop out to the three point line sometimes, I think that's that's going to add a new element to his game. Uh, I don't know if he'll he'll certainly end up doing it, but he's he's been a good mid range shooter. Uh, and if he's someone, he was not at all a good three point shooter last year. But thirteen percent. I just looked no. it up
1: five out of thirty eight from three and he's taking mostly corner shots like like he actually i felt like he actually could beat someone who made them he definitely was comfortable taking when he was open but i can't believe he shot five out of 38 that's crazy
2: i know he was he was better in some previous years though but he still if you look at the mid-range numbers he was like up over 40 percent from mid range last year like it's not like he it's not like he'd be going from completely unable to shoot to able to shoot and and i'm not suggesting turning a scanner into a you know a five five attempts from three per 36 minutes or anything like that but if he turns into someone who can He's still 24 years old. Like if he turns into someone who can who can capably make them, which I think is a, a possibility because he's super skilled. Then then he brings a little bit of a different kind of dynamic. But I, I think just because of the defense and like you said, they have a lot of guys who can play forward. You know, Sam Presti has hinted about wanting to play McDermott more at at the four a little bit, a few more minutes, and as a way to get some more shooting into the, into the lineup. I think Jeremy Grant, they acquired him. They played him at the three more than they played him at the four. Uh, now I think after seeing him play, I mean he played almost exclusively uh, four over the last month and a half, two months of the season, and then into the playoffs last year. I wouldn't be possible if he played more five than he plays three this year. I think they're they're shifting towards making him just kind of an athletic big in like today's modern NBA. And I think we're going to end up seeing him, him at the four, him at the five. And I really don't think we're going to see very much Jeremy Grant at the three this year. I just, I, I don't know if that suits him all too well today. Uh, and yeah, you still uh, I, got Patterson. I know and- it doesn't. <laughs> fair enough i agree uh and so and so yeah you got patterson there and you got a couple more forwards and if that's going to be the case it's just going to eat into eat into Canner's minutes and on top of that there are just going to be certain teams he he is not going to be able to produce against and on those on those nights he's going to play three minutes donovan's going to give him a try he's going to get eaten up in a pick and roll and he's going to sit the rest of the game
1: can't play him <laughs>
2: man that was that was something when that went viral that
1: that was like like the the ultimate like anti thunder moment right like they're so buttoned up they're always positive about it everything like they they're like super on message and trying to control everything and so to have donovan be caught saying that and then of course like the fact that i can just now refer to canter as can't play him with a k works better on on twitter uh is also fantastic as well
2: you're really good at puns that work. Better in print than they do when you say them out <laughs> <Yeah>. loud,
1: <laughs> Well, no, dunked on, dunked on. actually works better because the That's apostrophe true. is works pretty. Better, sorry, works in better print said out actually.
2: loud. So I guess, so I guess you're you're just good at one way puns. <laughs> You're like the Andre Robertson of, of punning.
1: Uh So uh, let's see, where were we here? I, I think we talked about some of the new additions. Felton, you know, presumably he'll just come in as a, a normal backup point guard, play is 15 minutes a game. Because one thing that people forget is that Russ actually did not play that many minutes last year. They try to keep him down pretty low. I, I know some of the research that they've done, Royce Young has talked about this. I'm sure you he, he heard this as well as shown that he doesn't play that well when he has to play stints of longer than about eight minutes or so. Do you think that Donovan will go with staggering Paul George and Westbrook? They started off in his tenure playing Westbrook and Durant together. Then they switched that up the second half of the 2015-16 season. What's your impression there?
2: I think they will stagger. And uh, I don't know that because I've heard it directly. That's just kind of my guess based on knowing how Billy's mind works when it comes to basketball. He always wanted to stagger Durant and Westbrook. Westbrook. Kevin Kevin Durant didn't really love being staggered with Russell Westbrook he liked playing along hair right. which I always thought was weird because it, it runs totally counter to Durant not liking to play next to Russell Westbrook right right but for yeah. years for years he said he didn't want to be staggered with Westbrook and mm-hmm. if, if he if he disliked playing with him so much you'd think he would take an opposite uh an opposite approach to that but for years he didn't and then right around halfway through Donovan's first year there 2015-16 the year they lost to the Warriors in the in the conference finals then Durant kind of came around on it and said oh okay, let's do it. I, I always thought that was one of Donovan's better coaching moves uh, during his first season, just being a guy who was able to convince Kevin Durant. Because Scott Brooks, who I, I always thought did a good job, especially in controlling the locker room, controlling egos, convincing guys, this is how, you know, setting up a culture, basically. That was Brooks' best attribute as a coach. And, and we've kind of seen a similar thing in Washington with him too. With Billy Donovan, I mean, Brooks was never able to do that. And Donovan was able to convince Durant, this is this is the best way to go. And I've never, I've never really known how that conversation ended up going. But I assume that Donovan is going to end up taking a similar approach this upcoming season with Paul George and, and Russell Westbrook, especially considering just the stark difference, like you mentioned before, in just the, the quality of the team when Russ was on versus off the floor last year. I mean, granted, the bench is going to be a little bit better. And I, I think similarly to you of Alex Abrinas, I think Abrinas is going to be is going to be a real contributor this year. But if you can stagger and those guys are willing to do it, then I, I would assume that Donovan's going to go that route.
1: So who's likely to get better on this team? They they have a lot of young guys. Who do you think is going to improve uh, this season?
2: I, I kind of just mentioned it. I think it's going to be Alex Sabrinas. Uh, I mean, he he got off to a slow shooting start to begin last year if you take his numbers from uh, he had a five three-point game he made five three-pointers against uh against the pelicans in a game in december and from that point on he shot over 40 percent from three the rest of the year that was his rookie season his, his jumper just looks
1: good man like he's one of those guys i mean like even when it wasn't going in for him early in the season like his misses weren't bad he's just has a beautiful form like yeah, i definitely just watching him like you trust that he can be a very, very good three-point shooter.
2: He's extremely fluid. Like, it's extremely natural. He's excellent on catch and shoots. And you know what's an amazing thing about him? Russ passes him the ball. Like, Russ doesn't... There are some guys who Russ doesn't like passing the ball to, and there are some guys Russ likes passing the ball to. Like, we don't see it that often because he doesn't play with candor that often, but he'll pass Canner the ball because he has a lot of confidence in Canner's offensive game and scoring ability. There are some guys he doesn't like passing the ball to. He likes passing the ball uh, to Abrinas, uh, and it's kind of uh, rare. Who, who are those guys? DeMontis Sabonis, he did not like passing the ball to.
1: Yeah, well, if uh, I, I, I kind of understand that, forty-seven <laughs> percent true shooting last year.
2: Well, he likes passing to Abrinas. He will pass to Abrinas. Well, they, uh, they run these Robertson, one-two.
1: Robertson's got to be on that list too. I'm guessing.
2: Yes, um, Robertson is on that list. And but but Abrinas specifically, like they'll run these one-two pick and rolls, which are really tough to guard because you put a guy a guy who's who's going to be guarding Abrinas in the back end of a pick and roll, and and you know they're they're out of their element. The vast majority of those defend, unless you're, you're talking about a really good perimeter defender. I mean, the vast majority of twos who are going to be guarding Alex Abrinas are out of their element when they're guarding the back end of a pick and roll. And Russ is able to find him open on a lot of those plays on the wing when Abrinas pops. And I think there's a chance we're going to see that more this year. I think we're going to see more minutes from him. I know it's something that management wants. Uh, I know that that team thinks that Abrinas is going to be a real contributor, and and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like over twenty minutes a game from him of of real shooting. And he's not a he's not a very good on ball defender. He's very skinny. He's very slender. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, know can, if he's can ever he going to do be a plus anything defender. other than shoot threes. Can you he do any, better, anything other than shoot threes? He's a better athlete than people give him credit for. Like I think I think he's he's not going to be like a top notch finisher around the rim or anything like that. But I think he'll I think he'll be. A a solid enough finisher around the rim. Like every once in a while, he'll he'll bust out and move around the rim. Will you'll be like, whoa! I I totally forgot that he was able to do that. And it's kind of because he never really takes those shots around the rim. Like he's going to have an extremely high three point rate throughout his career. There's no question about that. Uh, but I I also think he's he's going to be better at moving off the ball than we saw last year. If it's something the Thunder are able to implement. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with how willing Russ is to play in an offense with more movement. Because Russ is responsible for staff stagnating a lot of the offense when he just kind of gets the ball, dribbles around for eight seconds and then goes. But if you watch Abrinas play in Barcelona, obviously, you know, in in that league and on that team, there's just going to be a lot more movement than there is on an NBA team with Russell Westbrook. But if you watch him play, he understands how to move off the ball. Like he understands how to run off pin downs. Like he he understands all of that stuff. And I think that's something that you can implement into his game more. And if he can run off, off the ball well, get himself open and knock down catch and shoot threes, like that's a really valuable offensive a player.
1: A few stats on Abrinas 72% of his shots last year from three, but avoided really taking any long twos. Uh, very few of those. Uh, but another problem was that he shot only 49% at the rim. And you would expect this year that he'll have easier attempts at the rim and he's going to need to finish those because for a guy who's a shooting specialist and granted he didn't shoot as well as I thought he could last year only 56% true shooting if that's kind of all you're doing you got to get a little bit higher than that to be the player that they hope that he's going to be and so if he can just make some more layups get some more of those cuts like you said uh, I th- get out and transition more as well I, I think that'll uh, certainly be maybe a way for him to be more productive who do you think is going to play more him or McDermott
2: I think it's going to end up being him i just think there's a little bit more of a cluster at um at at the forward spot and and less so at at shooting guard i think you could end up seeing him be the guard with the with the third most minutes behind westbrook and 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 Robertson. um and and i think abrinas while he's he's certainly not i mean he's not even an average defender right now i i there's no doubt in my mind he's a better defender than doug mcdermott is i mean i think impossible (laughs) impossible I think I think he's definitely a better defender than Doug McDermott, which is, is something that could could break a tie in that way too if you think they're even tied.
1: I mean, do you think Abrinas could ever be at the point where he's running pick and rolls at all? He really did very little playmaking. He was just purely a spot up guy, as was, you know, every single player on the Thunder other than Oladipo and Westbrook last year.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's possible, but I I don't know if we're going to end up like not not in volume or anything like that. Like maybe every once in a while you'll see it happen because he's not a terrible ball handler and he he really understands the game extremely well. But I don't think it's something we're going to end up seeing like a ton of or anything like that so you
1: picked him as someone who could get better i mean i still think mcdermott can improve uh it's just i've always felt like he was underutilized actually as like a scorer with the ball in his hands like that he could go to work against guys in the post because he's always guarded by someone who's terrible but once again he's not going to get a chance to do that on this team so we can kind of forget about that a little bit you know he has these defensive limitations as does abrinas but i agree i think abrinas at least has some modicum of quickness whereas mcdermott doesn't really have any good defensive of attributes at all. Can I add one um, to bring this thing as yeah, well? Yeah. Um,
2: you just, you mentioned, you mentioned the efficiency. Um, and, and I do think he, he struggled and like admittedly struggled figuring out, he talked about how he, he struggled figuring out the pace of the game a little bit and the style of the game his first about month and a half. And I mentioned that game against New Orleans that was December 21st. From that, from that game on, he hit he five threes in that game. And from that game on, he was at a 59% true shooting. So I, I think it's possible that's kind of more the player that he was yeah. last year. Uh, I think that's, that's a fair, a fair Benchmark. I don't think that's just kind of an arbitrary starting point. And then he got hot. Like he he talked about. Like very very openly talked about being able to figure out the game more, and that was a game where it really turned around for him, and he figured out the comfort of that. And he actually talked about like a couple days before that game, like now I'm getting it, I've got it down, like I know where to be, I know how to read, uh, and I, I think I think that was that was a big turning point for him. And I think that's kind of more the player he ended up being. That 59 60 true shooting mark I think is probably more for him. Can I also tell a fun Alex Abrinas story? Oh please, this is this is a really fun story. So Alex Abrinas is an extraordinary confident human being. Uh, I don't want to say cocky because cocky has a negative connotation. He's kind of confident and he's an ex- he's a very nice guy and he's kind of confident in this extremely endearing way. Like he's aware he's aware of the confidence uh, but he and, and acknowledges that people think it's funny but he, he doesn't care. He still thinks he's incredible and hey, he made it to the NBA so why not? Anyway, last year Alex Abrinas had a, uh, had a dunk on Tristan Thompson and it was like definitely his nicest dunk of the year and it was kind of one of those it was kind of one of those moments where the whole crowd as opposed to cheering just kind of did a what all at the same time like no one realized Alex Sabrinas could dunk like that it was a it was a really nice dunk and and Tristan Thompson's really good and after the game, I went up to Abrinas and it was in the locker room. He was already dressed. He's sitting in his locker and he's kind of playing around on his phone. And I went up to him and I said, Alex, is that the nicest dunk you've ever had? And he said, no, no, I had a dunk. I, I had a dunk like that in Spain. I said, oh, really? And he goes, yep. And he just turns around his phone and he just clicks on the Safari tab. And he had just been watching highlights of himself on his phone. And he's just called <laughs> up on the exact dunk, <laughs> the exact dunk that he had in Spain. And I was like, oh, that is really similar. And I was like, have you been watching a highlights? of yourself? He says, yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> so Alex Sabrinas is an extremely confident guy. So if Alex Sabrinas gets in a slump, just know he's the dude who's watching highlights of himself at his locker.
1: <laughs> so they do, it looks like they really have a lot of guys who could potentially get better. Let's talk about Steven Adams a little bit, who was really in the spotlight after having a very nice 2016 playoffs, signed that lucrative extension for over 20 million per season that kicks in this year. Where is his game at last year? I, I thought that, personally, he got a lot of criticism that it was considered to have a disappointing year. I'm like, nah, he's kind of doing what he's always been doing. Like, I, I wasn't disappointed with where he was last year. But uh, what do you think?
2: I think he got a little bit too much criticism last year. I don't think he got worse. I think he was just stagnant to what he was. I think he wasn't as good as he was in the playoff run from right. the previous season. But I think he was about the same as he was during the regular season. I think part of it was because Steven Adams offensively is a guy who needs spacing to be effective because those roles are just not going to be as good when you've got the weak side defender pulling over from the corner and yeah. and, and blocking off those rolls and he's just not going to look as good if you're not paying attention to the rest of the offense and the and the defenders that are surrounding him so he's going to be harder and he's gonna become less involved and it's something I've talked about on my podcast too like he's a guy who when he doesn't touch the ball for 12 straight possessions he becomes a little bit more disengaged defensively too I think when he when he gets his when he gets his touches you just see him a little bit more engaged he doesn't he doesn't zone out quite as much he's he's a slightly different kind of a defender as well. I still think Steven Adams is gonna make the leap to being a, a really, really good uh starting center. Like I don't think he's gonna be, you know, a top-notch perennial all-star or anything like that, but I think we can end up seeing him as as a guy who can be in the discussion for an all defense team, who can, you know, be a really good role guy. I think he's one of the best screen setters in the league. I don't think they use him well enough as a screen setter. He doesn't set that many screens, he doesn't get that many screen assists, and I think that's a flaw in their offense. Again, yeah. that a lot of that a the, lot of that comes back to Russ with the off-ball the, screening and that guy. They're going to
1: run more pin downs with him setting a screen for Paul George, I think this year. George is really effective coming off of, of uh pin down screens on the wing.
2: Yeah, he's he's Great at that. I mean, that's like his best off-ball attribute, and yeah, Adams is is really good at setting those screens. So I, I think he's going to be better this year, if only because of the situation. I, on top of that, like he's he's 24 years old still. Like he's he's a young guy, Stephen Adams. I mean, it feels like he's been around forever because he's been on a lot of good teams. He's in the playoffs every year. So and he, and he kind of plays like a veteran and comes off like an older guy and older personality than he is. But he's 24 years old. Like I think Stephen Adams is still improving. I, I think. He's he's, that's the thing with this roster. Like you look at it and it's, it's pretty much all young guys, which is a very intentional move, obviously by Sam Presti. He's always built his teams like that. He's, he's valued youth uh, as basically the tiebreaker for, for any sort of talent disparity, maybe even more than the tiebreaker. Maybe it'll take a slightly worse younger player than an older player who can help. And uh, yeah, I think Adams is one of those guys. So I think he's going to end up being better if only because like role players tend to be better when the role is better. That's why they're role players. Right. And, and the role is going to, his job is just going to be easier this year and his skill set is going to be more easily used than it was during I mean last year was a weird season right and it's just going to be easier this year I think for him
1: yeah and he's taken some steps forward one thing that's underrated about him actually is he shoots very well from floater ranges 50 percent two years ago 49 percent last year and then he also really cut his foul rate last year as well which I thought was important for him and he never gets hurt either and he increased uh from 11.4 to 13.6 points per 36 minutes so I I think he's right on track still an efficient player and maybe he could do a little bit more defensively but I think with his mobility he can switch on to a lot of guys and uh, I think uh, you know he he is someone who was maybe overrated after those playoffs but has continued to progress at a reasonable rate and I I think he's going to take another small step forward not a guy who's like oh this guy's got so much more upside to explore necessarily but just incremental refinement could make him a very good player, maybe it will be difficult for him to live quite up to that contract, which was signed in somewhat of a different cap environment. But I, I think he's a, a very
2: solid starting center to be sure. He's also extremely bright. I mean, his his basketball IQ, I, I would go ahead to say that he has, he has at least as good of a basketball IQ as anyone else on this team. Uh, I mean, you can? he's the first guy, I mean, him and Nick Collison are the two guys that I go to. When I have a really nerdy, super intense X's nose question, hey, why did you guys defend the pick and roll IQ? this, I go to those two guys over even Billy Donovan because Billy Donovan will actually Billy Donovan will give you the occasional really, really good X's nose answer, but his answers are super long. And, and Nick and, uh, Nick and Steven will give me succinct good answers. And when I have those questions, those are the guys that I go to, uh, Adams, the way he understands the game, the way he processes the game, he's, he's a really bright, I mean, not just with basketball, he's a really bright guy, period. And, uh, I think, I think that's something that, I mean, there's no doubt that's, that's going to help him improve as a defensive player. As he gets older, because the way he processes the game, I think is is different from a lot of young players.
1: All right, let's get through some more of the nuts and bolts here because uh, I don't want to keep you forever. Who do you think is going to be their crunch time lineup? What would it be for you? And what do you think Billy Donovan will end up doing?
2: Well, what Billy Donovan is going to end up doing is he's going to play about five million crunch time lineups because that's what Billy Donovan does. <laughs> Like he, they're gonna have eighty-two crunch time lineups plus however many playoff games they have because that's yep. that's Billy, right? Like it's it's amazing. Like they play so many different lineups, and sometimes I mean, you know, Samajay is well, well, just well, randomly Westbrook, playing shooting guard one night.
1: Westbrook and George have to be in there, right? So, but I mean, do you think every other one of those spots is is fluid? I mean, we have got it's, like it's gonna yeah, be a I lot of matchups. So. I think Adams will
2: there, almost but... Adams Adams will be out there. It'll be Westbrook George Westbrook George and Adams are going to be out there, but I think on yeah. some nights it, for the most for most of the time. But that being said, Adams is not guaranteed a spot. Like there were times yeah. this past season where where they wanted to play Jeremy Grant at the 5 when they're playing against the team, you know, let's say let's say they're playing against Houston and Houston plays one of those lineups with like Chris Paul, James Harden and three wings, like they're playing PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza and Bam Mute or something like that. And they're they're going with that like Billy Donovan is is going to counter with Jeremy Grant at the 5. Like it may not even need to be that extreme to have something like that. And I think there are going to be moments where they're going to try Patterson at the five, depending on how things are going in the game and, oh, and how-
1: That could be unstoppable. I mean, I guess the, your only question there is they if they could just have one more kind of two-way wing, because they play Patterson at the five, then you either, you're playing Grant and you're kind of, then you got two non-shooters on the floor with Robertson and Grant, or you got to go McDermott or Breenas and those guys are can be attacked. Maybe they will even see them go with like Raymond Phelps and Westbrook together to close games as well. If they wanted to, because Felton is kind of a stockier guy, can switch a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's what Rick Carlisle used to do. He used to play Felton at the Felton at the two, and 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 he would guard some guard some shooting guards for him when he was in Dallas. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's definitely possible. I mean, yeah, I mean, Ro- Robertson allows them a lot of defensive versatility. Paul George obviously does the same. Uh, you know, Patterson does the same there. Jeremy Grant, who I think Jeremy Grant, I think is a is a better defender. Like the idea of Jeremy Grant is a better defender than actual jeremy grant at least for now yeah maybe he can improve they, they donovan loves jeremy grant uh i i see it i mean he's a he's an amazing athlete and he's tremendously long and he's quick and i i you know you yeah. see the potential to be a guy who can both switch and defend it, the rim which is it, obviously a really nasty in
1: isos he's pretty nasty in isos actually i think like if you get a guy that he is a little bit bigger than who tries to go at him one-on-one like you'll see him just like swallow dudes up every now and again who try to go at him one-on-one and just make them look like they have no chance whatsoever
2: yeah and he makes some tremendous plays also like even even from the weak side you'll see like these unbelievable flashy blocks but they're still like you know he's still that young guy who's going for the block a lot and who's still often late in help and like there there are still times where he'll miscommunicate you know maybe he's supposed to switch and he doesn't or vice versa and and I think those are things where he's learning like these are all things that can be taught and these are things that he can he can learn I just don't know if he's he wasn't there last year at least that being said I think he actually got a lot better. Like if you watch him in November last year, I think he was nearly the player that he was in that playoff series against Houston. When Donovan's playing twenty-two minutes a game, playing him at the four, having him switch onto Harden every time a pick and roll goes against him, like that's where his his value was. So I think I think they're gonna end up using him that way. And Billy Donovan is a huge fan of his. I mean, he he loves him. Billy Donovan loves the the defensive potential of like athletic long guys, and he will he will play those guys forever. He he loves that type of player. So I think I think he going to end up getting minutes at the four and get end up getting some minutes at the five. And yeah, you could see him in crunch time, especially if he ends up continuing to improve because he's got room to do it. All right. What are the big strengths of this team? Well, there's star power, which is a generic strength, but I think a solid one. I mean, where where does their top two rank amongst the best top twos in the league? It's got to be one of like the five best one, two combos in the NBA, at least. Right. Um, and the defensive versatility, like it's something that you've talked about and we obviously just talked about for a while. like they might be the best stocked team to defend a Warriors-like offense of any team right. in the league just because of all the different, like we just talked about, all the potential defensive combinations they can have, whether it's Grant at the four or the five, or Patterson can guard multiple positions, George and Robertson, And I think they they could potentially, if, if Adams makes a defensive leap and, and becomes, you know, like a, just a reasonable defensive leap, just a defensive leap that a, a good defensive 23-year-old makes to when he becomes 24, you know, and and if 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 you end up seeing that, you see a normal defensive season from Paul George, just what you expect out of him. A normal one out of Patterson. Robertson is is one of the three or four best perimeter defenders in the NBA. I mean, he can guard like three and a half positions. Like this is this is a team that you can play a gazillion different defensive lineups with. I mean, even Ray Felton has a little bit of defensive versatility there. And and if you can if you can you can play a million different of those lineups, and if you can guard those teams well, and you can switch like crazy, like this is the ultimate modern defensive team and I don't know if they're going to be like number one in defense but they were number 10 last year and I think they're certainly better defensively than they were last year
1: yeah I think that's pretty clear and we'll see how much George can give them I thought he took a step back defensively last year though how much of that was just being the only guy who knew what he was doing on the Pacers and how much of that is him maybe moving into a new phase of his career I'm not sure but hopefully with Westbrook there he can provide more energy defensively as well and And I agree with you on the Warriors. I think not only do they have guys who are at the three and the four and maybe even the five potentially who can switch, but there are ones, Westbrook and to a lesser extent, Felton, but definitely Westbrook. Westbrook's best aspect of his defense to me is what he's able to do on switches in the post.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's a great point. And there are not a lot of best aspects of Westbrook's defense, but... uh... (laughs) <laughs> that well, that, that probably is the best one.
1: Hopefully, that'll get better this year now with reduced offensive responsibilities. Although, you know, it wasn't really that great before that either. You know what? I think his uh, best chance of yeah. it
2: getting better is this year. I think his best chance of it getting better is that he already averaged the triple double and doesn't need to chase the rebounds anymore.
1: Yeah, maybe you're right about that. And, and you have to, uh, uh, that's actually an interesting question. Uh, like, do you think he takes a step back this year? We haven't talked about who really is likely to regress as a young team. So he, to me, really seems like the main candidate as someone. Someone who's going to not uh, be as good as he was last year. I mean, I think he, he could be, you want to say he could be more efficient, but really it seems like it doesn't matter how often he shoots. He just kind of takes the same shots and he makes the same percentage of them every year.
2: Yeah, I I think he's going to take a step back this year, but like, of course he's going to stay like Like the same way that like, if you asked me going into last season, is Stephen Curry going to take a step back after he had one of the 10 best offensive seasons in the history of the NBA? I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to predict a dude to have one of the nine best. Best offensive seasons in the history of the NBA. I'm just not going to do that. So I think he's going to take a step back. That that being said, last year when somebody, when I was asked if he could uh, average a triple double, I don't remember if we discussed it on the preview podcast last year or not, but going into the season, I was like, no, he's not averaging a triple double. There's no way. And then he ended up doing that. So I'm, I'm consistently wrong. And then they asked me if he was going to break the record halfway through the year. I was like, no, no way. So I'm consistently wrong on, on Russell Westbrook. But I yeah, I think he'll end up taking a step back. I, I wonder, do you think he could be more efficient? That being said, he had by far the best three-point shooting season of his career last year, and yet his mid-range numbers totally fell off the chart. He was like thirty-four percent from mid-range. So I wonder if the mid-range is gonna jump back up to around his career percentage in the in the high thirties and the three point is is gonna come back down. But he was thirty-four percent last year on three on on a career high attempts and I guess it's possible he just became a better long range shooter. His his something that Michele Barrow, who's someone who comes on my podcast a lot, he's a he's an analytics guy and came on and something a point that he made on my podcast, which is a great point, which is that his his balance on his jump shot is so much better now than it was like four years ago. Like his legs used to be like you know just twirling around in the air when he'd shoot those pull ups, and now his his balance is significantly better, and there's no question about that. So maybe maybe he's just a better shooter now than he was in like 2012, but um, it's really it's really hard to tell, especially with the mid-range numbers coming down last year too, because I'm not quite sure just exactly taking what that really says. hard
1: shots he probably did take more hard shots from mid-range so maybe if i'm saying the exact same shots that's probably not accurate he's probably taking tougher shots late clock uh, more often there but to me it's, it's not even about you know the triple double it's just that he's a guy who relies a lot on athleticism I mean, he's going to be 29 and that's just you know you're past your athletic peak at that point i think it's more just a natural consequence of aging than just that like oh my god he was so good last year like no one could sustain that i actually think what he did last year is i mean other than the rebounds is pretty sustainable i mean you just gotta attack every time and have no one else on your team so i mean it's gonna change because they have george but i think also just the the fact that in terms of just how good of a player he is in a vacuum it's he's gonna take a step back just due to aging a little bit
2: i think that's totally fair i mean he relies on his athleticism probably more than any great player in the nba so sure that that's totally fair all right, what are the weaknesses for this squad? I think it's still shooting. That's often a weakness with the Thunder, right? I mean, they, they have some shooters. We talked about Abrinas. We talked about McDermott. Obviously, obviously, Paul George is a really good shooter, but there's not much after that. I mean, uh, Patterson is, is a solid shooter, but he's prone to, you know, shooting. He's very streaky. He's prone to long stretches where he doesn't make it. Even Paul George is prone to these stretches where he gets super duper hot and then has these stretches where he, he'll shoot in the low 30s from three for a month. And that doesn't mess up with the spacing. Because guys are obviously still going to guard Paul yeah. George. But you know, with Westbrook, he's he's still, I'm I'm still gonna call him a below average shooting uh guy. And and Robertson is someone who they don't even guard when he's on the perimeter. Uh Jeremy Grant, I am very curious to see if Jeremy Grant's three-point yeah. shooting from last year is gonna hold up into this year. Uh, they don't really have a center who's gonna be able to shoot threes unless, of course, they're playing Patterson at the five. So I, I think the shooting will not be as bad as last year. They were last in the NBA in three-point percentage last year. It won't be as bad as last year last year. But it's 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 still going to be something that they're going to struggle with. And they're going to have games where they shoot 20, you know, 19 percent from three in the game because their three shooters happen to be off that night and they're going to lose that game by seven. They're going to be thinking, ah, if they just hit three more threes and they would have won that one. And uh, I, I think that's going to happen a few times throughout the year. And it, it could be a, a consistent problem.
1: Yeah, they do still have four extreme one way guys, actually really five. Uh, but uh, on the wing, you've got a brief and McDermott as one way offensive players who are excellent shooters. And then you've got Robertson and grant. And you mentioned both those guys. I mean, those are guys who like, they can't even pretend to take a three. Like they're just not getting guard. I mean, th- what per, how long would Robertson and what kind of volume would he have to shoot just uh, to actually start getting guarded out there right like I mean and, and even in the playoffs I always make this point like oh yeah you know Robertson hey he was wasn't bad he was two for five you know that's that's pretty good right like see he can't shoot it's like yeah but there were 60 plays in this game where he wasn't getting guarded and they stopped him or made their lives much harder you know so uh, the fact that, yeah I get he shot 40 but you know there's 60 other plays where he wasn't getting guarded. And, and that applies to both him and Grant.
2: Yeah. I mean, Grant shot a very good percentage last year. Granted, if you look at like the actual breakdown, like 90 something percent of those attempts were, were like wide open on the NBA, on the, on NBA.com sport view data. So it's, he's exclusively just taking shots and most of them are from the corner. And he's exclusively just taking corner threes in which nobody is guarding him, which is fine. Great. You get a wide open corner three, go for it. But yeah, I mean, guys still weren't guarding him late into the year, even though he shot a, not, not, on a not insignificant amount of attempts not yeah. a ton and but he had some he nasty had
1: misses in the playoffs too like he was he was definitely just not getting guarded like clearly didn't have the confidence in the playoffs as i recall
2: yeah i'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with his his three-point shooting this year because that that went up and i don't think anybody expected him to shoot in the high 30s like he did last year so i i am really curious to see what's going to end up happening with that this year
1: yeah only 114 attempts too so you know i mean if he misses five more shots last year we're talking about a 32 percent three-point shooter instead of 38 percent uh all right we will uh be right back with more from fred Katz. we'll get his prediction on what the thunder will do this season right after this as someone who is often pressed for time and is prone to the occasional unhealthy meal or two to the point that i actually recorded a podcast with kevin pelton on his show about my favorite fast food items i know you can't eat like that all the time though but living healthy is hard because it takes time and it's expensive But thrivemarket.com is a game changer in that regard. It's the new convenient way to get high quality, natural, organic groceries like healthy snacks, supplements, and foods for 25 to 50% less than even the discount stores. It's like Costco being Whole Foods online. You pay 60 bucks a year and you get wholesale pricing all year long. The average customer saves about $40 per order and Thrive guarantees you'll save more than your membership fee in your first two orders. In fact, they will let you test drive these savings for free before you buy your membership, they have over 400,000 members and I would recommend that you go to that special URL that we have to get an extra 20% off. And also just check out their wares thrivemarket.com slash cap lets you test drive it free for 30 days, but just go on there and see what they have. I bet you they have a ton of stuff that you either buy regularly and it'll be less expensive or that maybe you don't buy because it's too expensive. And now you can get it at thrivemarket.com slash cap Once again, thrivemarket.com slash cap is that URL. All right, Fred. Let's hear it. Predicted record for the OKC
2: Thunder in the 2017-18 season. All right. Was I I the only person last year to take the... uh, Because last year when we did the over-unders had already come out and we did over no they hadn't. I, was I, they hadn't oh they we, hadn't we but maybe in, they came out after like august yeah that's right and you came out with you did some over-unders with other people i i was i the only person last year to take the under i remember you saying something like that last year
1: no i think it was uh frank madden with the bucks actually you you gave him 45 wins and i think i gave him 45 and was, the
2: over-under was 45 and a half
1: oh is that where i ended up at yeah maybe it wasn't initially i but yeah okay all right well we'll give you a little bit of credit there uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, I was wrong. I deserve no credit. So I should have uh I should have taken the over. They hit the over. Uh but I, I'm gonna have them. I don't know what their over-under is gonna be this year. I think they're gonna be at around 52. I think they're gonna be good. I, I think they're gonna be an offense that's gonna um you know, they were they were around the middle of the pack last year. I think their their efficiency is gonna bump up to to somewhere around 10 to 12 in offense this year. And I think I think their defense could could end up climbing into the top five or six and if that's the case I think they're gonna get up to about about 52 wins and and they could be the three or the four seed. you know I'm really conflicted about San Antonio because I think they got worse like I feel like they had to have oh, gotten clearly. worse
1: yeah I, I feel that way and Unless last year I was takes like yet another leap and just like saves them again this year
2: which is probably gonna happen because it happens all the time and I'm always wrong about this but last year I looked at them and thought they were number one in defense in 15 16 and they lost all these guys and they're going to be playing defensive lineups that are going to have pow and david lee out there and there's just i'm sure they'll still be good because they have danny green and they have Kawhi, and they're probably still going to be a good defensive team but there's no way they're going to be close to number one and then they finish number one again so i I don't understand how the heck they do it and like i feel like looking at this roster and losing simmons and losing debman and the parker injury and you just you feel like they're gonna have to fall off and i i I want to say that okc could be better than them but then you just think like every year they still Still go out and they still win 60 and I feel like they're still going to win like 55 so I my 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 head is saying like San Antonio's this is going to be the year San Antonio wins 50 and OKC gets a three seed with like 52 53 wins but but I, I just feel like I can't pick San Antonio not to win 55, so I'm going to put him at like 52 wins and the four seed in the West.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's probably about right where I would have them uh, in. I felt better about them before this Patterson news. I am a little bit more of a pessimist on injuries than a lot of people are just because I think overall, we're just too optimistic on these type of things. that guys are just going to come back. Teams are, we are in the media. Uh, Philly is another team that I think is just like, everyone's being way too optimistic on them uh, right now, just due to injury concerns and youth. I mean, that's the other thing too. I think people are a little bit too optimistic about youth and a little bit too optimistic about injuries. That said though, they don't really have anyone else who's an injury concern on this team. They're young. Uh, I just think that Patterson is to be such a critical player for them uh, that if he can't be effective, and, and make shots that that really messes up messes them up on both ends, really, because they either got to play guys who are one way on offense or one way on defense a, a lot more. I'm going to give them 52 wins with the idea that. oh Let me think about that. Now, all right, I'm going to go with 51. I'm going to go with 51 wins. And wow, a
2: bold, a bold shot down
1: yeah yeah 51 wins and uh, but with the idea as we'll talk about now i think their best case scenario what do you see as their best case scenario
2: their best case scenario is probably something in them like the at like you mean like everything goes right everyone's healthy everything right. goes right and i think it's plausible they could win in the mid 50s like that's 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 I wouldn't be shocked if they won 55 games I think that's fine and they could be they could be like the number three defense and like the number seven offense I think
1: like they could easily get to that level like that that would be realistic for them I I mean I I think they have the talent to me to be close to the number one defense I mean when you get like Adams Robertson George if he gives them a, a lot more Grant as well Patterson I mean those are all real good defensive players on this team and maybe Cancer and McDermott and Abrinas and Westbrook will really torpedo them and they'll be worse I think they're a team that could get to be I generally think that this team overall will be better in the playoffs especially defensively than they are in the regular season and it'll take them some time to gel but uh so yeah I mean I could see them getting 58 59 wins if if everything breaks right
2: yeah I don't I you know you're right I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy at all. And if, you know, that's dependent on obviously Russ and Paul George figuring it out, probably from the beginning. And I anticipate some amount of learning, learning curve at the beginning. I think they're going to be a better team in, in April than they will at the beginning of the year, just because they have a lot of, of parts they have to integrate and they're going to be has running a different been kind been of said, offense and all that. Has anyone ever
1: said, oh, you know, I think they will be a much better team in October than they than they will be <laughs> in April. Like every team, they're like, oh yeah, you know, take yes. some time to gel. I think, get I think
2: Philadelphia is going to be a much better team in October than they'll be in April. Uh, oh, just due to the injuries potential? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Philadelphia's totally going to be a better team. I'm, I'm totally with you on Philly. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I, that that's the thing you say about teams that are integrating new parts, and it's not just that they're bringing in, like, because they're not bringing in that many new guys in terms of just the number right. of guys, but their impact that they're changing is totally different, and they're going to have to run a totally different offense than they did last year. The offense they ran last year I believe is casually referred to as the Russell Westbrook offense, and they're not you know they're not going to be able to do that and and maintain success this year so they're going to have to change how they run things and they're going to have to change how they do things and that's going to be an adjustment for for everybody i mean including the coaching staff so i i think there there could be some you know russ and paul george have to figure it out and all that and, you know, who knows? I mean, if they get off to a slow start, like, you know, Russ, as of the time of recording this, Russ has not signed the extension and Paul George is a free agent in 2017. So, like, they have a large disparity, uh, you know, between possible wins and, and, and you know, the best case and worst case scenario for this team. Well, what is that worst case scenario? The absolute worst case scenario. I mean, I assume we're just assuming. I don't think aside they're, from gonna injuries. Trade,
1: they're not going to trade either of those guys. They have so much talent that, I mean, unless they're just going to not make the playoffs, which I I think right it, well that's that's injuries, what i'm which, saying which that that seems impossible i mean this is like the worst realistic i i don't see them trading any of those guys i mean even if they're like on course for like the 7 seed I think they'll say, like, hey, we have so much talent. We're just going to keep these guys around and just hope they figure it out in the playoffs and people want to stick around. Unless Paul George, are, maybe Paul George think, comes to them and he's like, all right, I guarantee you I'm not sticking around here. You're better off trading me. Maybe, maybe that happens.
2: I think chances are you're right. I think chances are you're right. But if we there, there's a non-zero chance that they come out and Paul George and Russ can't figure it out. And the West is super strong. And it's a season where the eight seed is going to win 48 games and and, you know, like uh like you know, Phoenix missed the playoffs a few years ago with forty-eight wins and there was that year with uh, you know, Golden State missed it with forty-eight wins with the Baron Davis team. And like, it, there's a chance that that ends up being this year and, you know, it's February and this team is four games below 500 and they're just reeling and they're not out. And all of a sudden the organization really has to ask, Russ hasn't signed the extension. Paul George isn't, you know, Paul George, there's no way he's coming back and they have to figure out, all right, well, there's going to have to be a major rebuild here, no matter what. Um, and they're going to have to figure out if they want to, if they want to deal those guys or not. And that, that, I don't think that's going to happen. But if we're talking absolute, just like we were talking about absolute best case scenario, if we're talking... In the absolute worst case scenario, I think that's it, and I think that's something that they will ask themselves if they're in that position.
1: Yeah, well, with Westbrook, that extension he can only sign that during the off season. Once the the day prior to the first day of the regular season is the last day that he can sign that designated player extension. So if he hasn't by then, it's definitely going to be high drama throughout the season. I would put them at maybe forty four wins as a worst case scenario. I mean, I think there's no way they won't be better than last year just from the fundamental standpoint. Even You're saying, hey, last year (coughs) they were essentially a 500 team that they'll, they got to be at least three wins better than that unless they're just massive massive injuries which you know i i don't and i don't really include that in these worst case scenarios unless it's guys who already have a, an injury history um yeah i mean what's a, what's the story with that that westbrook extension and you know i know that the fact that george is there and may or may not stick around is kind of giving him cover for not signing it but what is the level of angst that he's had that on his desk for the last month and a half now and has not signed it
2: I haven't sensed any angst from his side. Um, <laughs> I think, well, he would have signed it otherwise. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think the organization the organization is at least still preaching that they're and the term that I keep using is that they're cautiously optimistic about it. I don't think they're at the level where like they really thought they really thought Kevin Durant was going to be coming back at around this time in 2015. They thought Kevin Durant was going to be resigning the following summer, and they were super confident in that. And I think that kind of you know Durant Durant changing his mind and 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 going and signing with Golden State kind of stung them a little bit and has kind of changed their approach to this a little bit more. I think they are, which is why I use the word cautious. They are a little bit more cautious about it. That being said, they they seem to be um, optimistic about the the chances of of Russ signing signing the designated veteran player exception. So I i mean i'm skeptical to be honest but that's my personal view yeah, why and wouldn't I'm he have just signed just for, it already why wouldn't he have just signed i don't it already? know i i don't know the answer to that and trust me it's a question i've asked a lot of people and it's something that i haven't been able to figure out the answer to i don't know i i don't know why he hasn't signed it already I, uh i, I mean, don't know maybe if you because... want to just
1: like get into camp and see how the team looks or something i mean it's you know it's similar to like when extensions that you do for like rookies or whatever where you all right let's see how this guy looks before we we do this extension maybe he feels that way he wants to see how the team looks in, in camp but I, I don't think that that many players think that way though
2: no i i don't uh that being said russ russ thinks differently than any person you or i have ever <laughs> met <laughs> he is he is a unique person. I mean, even last year, right? Like, so last year he had to he ended up signing the the extension that was for effectively for one year, and he ended up signing that extension. And he didn't do it until August fourth. And he could have signed it earlier. They 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 were in a position to give him that extension. And and last year it actually tangibly hurt the team that he didn't sign it because they had to stay under the cap because it was a renegotiate and extend. So they had to stay under the cap in order to hey, for him to sign the contract. So they really weren't able. to go out and make any offseason moves or anything like that. They basically had to stay with the same roster all the way through August so they could stay under the cap enough to account for his raise in 2016-17. This year it has I mean if he signs it eventually, it has no negative effect on him waiting one month, two months, three months as long as he signs by the deadline on August 16th or on October 16th. He's fine, but it's just, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why he hasn't done it, but the organization seems to think that he's going to, like I said, I'm, I'm skeptical about it. I'm not, I'm not saying that he won't because people keep telling me that they think he's going to people who know more about the situation than I do keep telling me that, uh, they think he's going to end up signing it. But you know, the question that's worth asking and one that I don't know the answer to is okay, we don't spend five weeks. Why hasn't it happened?
1: Last thing I wanted to talk about here, last year, I asked you the question of what grade would you give the team's ownership and front office over the last five years? I was extremely critical of them. I thought that a lot of the moves and non-moves that they made led directly to Kevin Durant, leaving the team not being as competitive. As it could have been, the waiters and canter moves in particular, inability to get a, a wing who could uh, play some defense and hit a shot, all that. They, that was even with, at that time, the Old Depot Sabonis trade had happened with Ibaka. I liked that for the team. But since then, obviously, they deserve a, a ton of credit for what they've been able to do. So I, I want to at least set the record straight there that uh, they've done much better over the last year.
2: I mean, if you look at the last few trades they've made, they, they go from justifiable to just totally fleecing a team, right? I oh, mean, the. the bull-
1: trade was a fleecing uh, and to get a second round pick and Taj Gibson, who helped them last year and McDermott for essentially Payne and Laverne, who, you know, Payne is basically going to be out of the rotation probably this year in Chicago and Laverne is already gone uh, that there's that. And then also this George fleecing, of course, as you mentioned.
2: Yeah. And I mean, there's there's the I mean, the Jeremy Grant trade, I think, was a, a solid, a solid swap for them as well. Um, you know, the Joffrey Laverne one. I don't think they would do that again. If they went back on it, but that's not too. I mean, that's pr- a pretty inconsequential move. They gave up, you know, second rounders, and I don't think that was that was such a big deal. And there's obviously the Oladipo trade. If you're going to go back to then as well, which I think was a really good deal for them, because if that deal doesn't go through, they you know they got a, a solid year from Victor Oladipo, and they don't end up getting uh, they don't end up getting Paul George, and and they wouldn't yeah. have resigned Ibaka this summer anyway. So. Uh, I I I think so. You're asking me what grade would I give them over the last five years? Well, I think I just wanted to talk about it.
1: Basically, I mean, I, I think it, it's, yeah, it, we don't need to revise the grade necessarily, but I think it's just it, it was worth noting that since I killed them last year, to <laughs> that uh, to be consistent and fair, and I have done that on, on other episodes of the show, of course, it, to give them credit for what they've been able to do since then.
2: Yeah, and we're just talking about the trades too. I mean, the Patterson signing. I mean, I know you know. Obviously, we talked oh, sure. about we talked about the industry, but that was that was a nice the signing
1: is. Good good for for the Mm -hmm. price yeah sure Uh, for the minimum that's fine had
2: ronnie price happened at the time we did our podcast last year oh man well we we have an entire ronnie price podcast on record though so we're fine we made up for it we talked about ronnie price on a 35 minute podcast on mine so we're good
1: yeah it it was a wide-ranging ronnie price podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is you this the see only that. wide-ranging uh, like,
2: ronnie price podcast ever
1: like every interview is like oh in a wide ranging interview blank opens up like that's that's like the phraseology that's used for like every interview <laughs>
2: <laughs> opening up about ronnie price that's that's what the listeners want on like an august nba podcast they want retrospectives of two-year deals for backup point guards All
1: right. Well, this was a ton of fun. We'll be back with Dan Feldman to talk about the Detroit Pistons momentarily. So Dan Feldman of NBC joining me now to discuss the Detroit Pistons and their outlook for the upcoming season. We actually talked about a little of this stuff already on danny's podcast but because danny is on this train trip he hasn't released it yet so we can just reprise everything that we talked about before and ha, danny it'll come out on my podcast first actually wait is that true yeah yeah that's right yeah this is coming out tonight so we'll be good on that so what's up man how are you good how are you uh you know that i'm good already we talked for like four minutes before we started recording <laughs> <laughs> well, why'd you
0: set me up then <laughs> you know I, <laughs> because I, we I just say just like jerk to you
1: yeah i know i'm sorry but uh no i reserved that role for myself <laughs> <laughs> no i just realized after it, i was like wow that was really a dumb question like we just we just discussed it but hey you know we have to convince everyone that we're friends because you know we of course hate each other as soon as the, the recording uh is <laughs> is turned off yeah so uh, obviously there was the avery bradley trade marcus morris kcp no longer a part of this team they've added langston galloway they added luke kennard in the draft anything else i'm missing here as far as like significant transactions at least as far as how they'll be on the court this year
0: uh, anthony tolliver i think uh, yeah. could have a decent sized role on this team
1: yeah no i think that and we know that stan loves him he's probably had the best years of his career under Stan in detroit actually
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's definitely a comfort level there. Uh, they probably hope that Henry Ellenson is better than Tolliver this year. Uh, but in case that's not, Tolliver definitely raises their their floor at
1: that spot. So where I want to start with these guys, which I think is important, especially because they've almost kind of they're bringing back closer to the same team than a lot of their competition in the lower part of the East playoff picture from last year. Like, How good were these guys last year?
0: Uh, So they you know they were a high 30s win team both in terms of actual record and uh, what they what they got outscored like but they also had you know some major injury problems most notably Reggie Jackson Uh, and then he just never looked healthy. So the, the big sort of question with them is are they are they this high 30s win team that they were last year or are they more like the mid 40s wins team that they were two years ago when healthy and it's probably somewhere in between.
1: Yeah, 37 and 45 a year ago, 10th in the East expected one loss actually they underperformed their point differential sw- slightly per basketball reference 38 and 44 was their expected one loss and uh, the offense was really the big problem for this squad a year ago
0: it was uh and so the big difference from two years ago and again it's like i'm gonna keep going back to two years ago because right. it, in some ways that might be more representative of what this team is in some ways it might be less uh, but you have to i think combine both of those years uh two years ago they had this nice fortifying central idea of everything's going to be based off the Reggie Jackson Andre Drummond pick and roll well that doesn't work when Reggie Jackson is either out injured or playing hurt and not really back to himself uh, and then maybe as a result of that maybe not and this is a key question their shot making around that really suffered uh, and is that because defenses didn't really have to pay as much attention to that Drummond re- or that Reggie Jackson Drummond pick and roll and could stick closer to the complementary shooters where the sh- shooters just above their head two years ago uh, and so whether detroit is better as a shot making team is going to be so huge for their offense and their entire team
1: well it's interesting actually their offensive rating two years ago only 0.1 points per 100 possessions better than it was last year but the league-wide offensive climate was so different that they went Mm -hmm. from 13th to 21st last year i was actually surprised that it was uh, i'm sorry no 24th last year okay yeah and then in defense they actually moved up From 12th to 8th. Although, again, they were uh, not re- like they actually got worse in absolute terms, but uh, were better relative to the league.
0: Right. And so what do you make of a team like that? And you could you could make the arguments either way. And I'm not really sure uh, along those lines, I guess, as long as we're doing the two year comparison. So I, one thing I think is particularly interesting, uh, all their most used lineups two years ago were all very much in the positive, And all their most used lineups last year were very much in the negative. Uh, so, the, the, you know, the success Detroit had last year was kind of when they were uh, outside of their normal main used rotations, and still some players changed. so there's not a perfect comparison. You know, two years ago, they had Anthony Tolliver and Ursan Sova in some of those lineups. Last year they had Ish Smith and John Lur in some of them, but if you look at that main lineup, uh, that I think we're going to see something similar to this year at least is the hope. That's Reggie Jackson and obviously it won't be KCP anymore, but I think Avery Bradley is going to fill a similar role where it's not going to be too disruptive uh, and obviously Marcus Morris is gone, but maybe you can have uh, Stanley Johnson or, or John Lure in there, and again, not too disruptive to what it looks like. Uh, but we have uh, those guys, Tobias Harris and Andre Drummond. Two years ago, that lineup was plus 3.2 per 100 possessions. Last year was minus 12.3. And, and I don't think they ever got their head around why it was so different. Like, maybe their true result is somewhere in between there, maybe, but like I think that was something Stan Van really struggled with throughout the year is, I've seen this lineup be really good, and now it's not. And so what needs to change? Like, is it just time like will it come together is it reggie jackson's injury is it something else and so i think the difference between those two lineups was kind of the the fundamental problem they've been trying to address
1: yeah because in reality they weren't they're only five wins worse than the year before so you think oh you know like maybe they slipped up a little bit but yeah it was really the failures of the guys that we thought of as this core the guys who were supposed to be still getting better all pretty young guys other than maybe Tobias Harris I think pretty much everyone either disappointed in their development you might say Stanley Johnson's in that category or actively took a step back certainly Reggie Jackson uh what about Drummond like where was he last year
0: Uh, So he was, I think he was much more similar to what he was two years ago than most people do, but he did take a step back uh, and his problem continues to be like his effort isn't there. His defensive recognition isn't quite there. And so when you combine both of those, like it's not what you want in a big man, but he is so physically talented. Like he can't help but be at least somewhat impactful. Like he's still a pretty good player, even in his games where his effort isn't what you want it to be because he's so big and strong and quick and has all these skills and it's not like he's ever just like not trying at all it's just not as much as you hope it can be because when you see him put it all together in the games where he's really going after it and has everything coming together he looks so good and it's disappointing when it doesn't get there but i think it's easy to forget like even when he doesn't have it all together he's still pretty darn good
1: so uh, ben Falk, a writer i know we both respect worked in the mm-hmm. league for for a time he described failures on defense among individual players as can't won't <laughs> and doesn't know how how much of drummond's defense falls into each of those categories would you say
0: yeah so none of it is can't that's like none yeah. of it uh, some of it is won't and some of it is doesn't know how uh, it's it's somewhere in between on on both of those
1: yeah no I, I think you're right about that uh so moving on here to a commercial we will do that real <laughs> real quick here. So we'll be right back after this word from our friends at Movement Watches. Get started with them with mvmt.com slash capspace, the, the URL to get 15% off with free shipping and free returns to over 160 countries. Great way to support the pod if you're an international listener. Movement Watches was actually started by two college kids who were in much the same circumstance as I was with watches. They wanted to wear stylish watches, couldn't afford them department store brands, usually 400 bucks, 500 bucks to find a watch that I liked. But movement watches start at just $95. I've got one that I wear all the time. I really like their 40 series. It's a little more minimalist, but they have some larger ones as well. My mom bought one. She bought one for her nieces, my cousins. My girlfriend has one as well that she wears almost all the time they've now sold over a million watches which is really incredible if you think about it so just go to mvmt.com slash cap space and get 15 percent off today with free shipping and free returns that's mvmt.com slash cap join the movement so the big trade of course was avery bradley we've talked about that before on and offline we've talked about on dunk on of the long-term implications but just for this year do you think that trading kcp and marcus morris essentially for avery bradley and langston galloway is that an upgrade or a downgrade
0: well so i think you can even take galloway out of out of the picture a little bit i understand where you're going with that but i, I think you can even take him out and say it's probably an upgrade that that Avery Bradley is, is clearly better than KCP. I don't think there's really any uh, dispute about that and can play similarly similarly enough where there's no cost of changing your style or anything like that. Uh, and so I think it's enough of an upgrade and there are enough options at forward where yes, they'll miss Marcus Morris but however they do their lineup w- between who wins out uh, in the spot who's going to get the most minutes. I don't know that Tobias Harris is going to start, but whoever gets the most minutes with him, whether it's Stanley Johnson or Anthony Tolliver or Henry Henry Ellinson, like, I don't think it's going to be that much of a downgrade from Marcus Morris.
1: Well, uh, ESPN's real plus minus actually would say that Contavious Caldwell Pope was better than Avery Bradley. I think each of the last two seasons, let me check that. Yeah, Pope was, uh, Caldwell Pope was 10th in RPM in 1516, and Avery Bradley did not appear within the top 40. And then similarly last year, Caldwell Pope regressed there, but still ranked number 30 whereas again Bradley was not in the top 40 but I take it you don't find those numbers persuasive
0: yeah and not for Avery Bradley I mean isn't he probably uh, the player where RPM and conventional wisdom uh, split most greatly uh, especially his defense no he doesn't necessarily put up the steals or blocks but everybody agrees that he is a lockdown defender he improved his defensive rebounding rate a ton I think that went a a long way and obviously not an RPM uh, but he's a guy who Who's a, a locked-down defender on his man on the perimeter? I wish he could switch more. Uh, he's definitely a more versatile offensive player than KCP. Uh, KCP needed to be set up a lot. It uh, was just starting to figure out how to run the pick and roll himself and be the, the creator himself, and it was kind of rocky. Uh, Avery Bradley's way further along in that progression. Uh, I, I'm
1: not so- sure if that's true. I, I mean, I, I think the one thing that Bradley can do that he, that Pope was his guy, he's more accurate three-point shooter. I don't know if he's the same type of a volume guy guy and he's also better at coming off of screens uh, to shoot especially from two-point range i think that then kcp is and more accurate there and probably a better cutter as well though i don't we'll see how much cutting like he's actually able to do on uh, this pistons offense compared to that has absolutely nobody who can pass compared i guess ish smith can't, but outside of that compared to boston where you know you had a, a lot of guys who could do that so i i'm i'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here but i don't think that the difference between those two players is as big as a lot of people think and i think that i'm higher on kcp than nearly anybody so perhaps i'm showing my bias there but i'm uh, i i think there's a plausible argument that kcp is better than bradley especially that this year could be better than bradley taking you know with another year's development
0: don't you think avery bradley is a much better uh secondary ball handler playmaker like we've talked so much oh about no the he pistons can't dribble at all avery bradley I mean, can't
1: dribble at all oh see i i, I think, think kcp is a better pick and roll player than than oops, bradley is uh, uh, i don't
0: i don't <laughs> I, I think KCP i think acp is you know developing that and trying to get there but we we talked so much about how the pistons didn't have anybody who could do that and they kind of pushed it on to kcp uh, and you can see you, it was very nice growth i'm very like because he couldn't do it at all early in his career yeah uh, and got to the point where he could do it last year uh, not necessarily well but could at least do it and i just think bradley is ahead on that Now bradley is like probably at a ceiling on it and so maybe kcp becomes better uh, but i don't think he's there yet
1: yeah bradley actually had more pick and roll ball handler possessions than i expected and was right about the uh, league average 173 possessions uh, 0.83 points per possession so maybe i wasn't giving him as much credit there as i could have uh, do you
0: have uh, kcp's numbers there
1: do you know what they are? Are they going to be awful?
0: I I don't. I don't. I'm a little nervous now.
1: Okay. But I'm let's, just going. Let's... I'm just
0: going by my eye test here. I'm curious if the let's numbers... check it out. Yeah. I'm well, d- I, that's up. what
1: I. That's what I was doing on Bradley, but. Uh... Uh, no, 268 possessions, 70th percentile, uh, 0.89 points per possession, uh, for KCP as the pick and roll ball handler. Now, I don't think either of those guys is really setting people up out of those pick and rolls a a ton, but I think I I like KCP more as a guy who can rise up over the defense and at least take that three off the dribble than I do Bradley necessarily. I I would agree with that aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. All right. But we're probably (laughs) getting led astray slightly since KCP is of course No longer on the team. What about Langston Galloway? That to me was a puzzling signing in a <laughs> number of respects. um We don't need to rehash the decision to do that too much, uh, because Danny and I have talked about that ad nauseum at this point. But where is he going to fit into this rotation? Like, how does he help this team? What was the theory, at least, for Stan Van Gundy in signing him? Well, he's a shooter,
0: and I think we. Uh, this is probably the second time, and the first time was Stan Van Gundy's first year, where Van Gu- Van Gundy's offense needs guys who can shoot from long distance, guys who are willing shooters and that's something he talked about a ton and oh I think one of his favorite things about KCP was uh, as you know KCP was not afraid to let it fly like when the shot was there he was taking it and that's something very important to to Stan Van and Galloway fits that mold Uh, at what position though I'm kind of curious because that point guard obviously is Reggie Jackson and Nish Smith and is he going to get any minutes at point guard behind those two and maybe some of it was a hedge of hey if we trade Reggie Jackson now we don't have to get a point guard back although you tell me where he's going to go where you wouldn't be getting a point guard back uh, but maybe Galloway plays more shooting guard. On the other hand, they just drafted Luke Kennard. And, and I think Kennard uh, is coming in a little bit more NBA ready than they expected. So maybe maybe they thought that Galloway was going to be their backup shooting guard. But now it's not, not even clear if he'd get those minutes over Kennard.
1: I think he probably will just because the Kennard is his defense is going to be a problem. I know Stan, Stan thought that his defense was going to be terrible, lauded it for being slightly less just (laughs) terrible than he was expecting. But, and he at least said he's going to have a chance to get on the floor. Said the same thing about Henry Ellenson as well, that he'll at least have a chance to compete for minutes this year based on on what they did in summer league, Uh, by the way, Galloway, to me really more of a shooting guard offensively has to have someone next to him uh, that can set him up i don't think that he and avery bradley can play together much if at all just due to the lack of ball handling the lack of ability to penetrate and, and set up others we know that that's a, a major problem in this team and also just because i think ish smith was actually surprisingly effective last year and then there's still reggie jackson i mean maybe the thought is just that like reggie could be so bad this year that he's just not going to play very much you know maybe that, and that's how galloway gets a on the floor, but I still don't see him as a, enough of a point guard, especially on this team where you just don't have anybody else who can do anything off the dribble outside of the point guards. Right.
0: No, that that's very true. I mean, I guess Canard is kind of the interesting one. That was one of my favorite things about Canard in the draft is, for a shooting guard, he's really developed some nice point guard skills. Now, being able to translate that and read NBA defenses and make those plays on the fly like he could at Duke in the NBA immediately, like that's a tall task for any rookie. So I'm not expecting that anytime soon. Uh, but he could develop into that complimentary playmaker on the wing
1: yeah and i was very impressed with with canard in summer league despite the fact that donovan mitchell the guy drafted immediately below him arguably was more impressive but certainly as an offensive player canard looked pretty good so i mean if you had to guess like what the minutes distribution is going to be between i mean they got five guys in theory who need some minutes now with smith jackson bradley galloway and canard and none of those guys can play the three so you really got five guys who are theoretically you want to have in your rotation uh, for two positions. How do you see the minutes breaking down between those guys?
0: Yeah, that it's a good question. I don't know. And you could even throw Reggie Bullock in there, although he's capable of playing the three. Yeah. Uh, he's probably better as a two. But if there are no minutes there and some minutes needed at three, like does he get any minutes at shooting guard? Uh, is he even in the rotation? So, you know, I I don't know. Like I will say that Stan Van uh, tends to not play his starting point guard too much. Like across the league, his starting point guard uh, tends to be on the lower end. End of minutes per game, and and so that opens up some some playing time. And let's, I think you have to presume that Reggie Jackson is going to be the starting point guard. Uh, I'm sure that's got to be the goal, given what he's paid and given what he's shown. He's definitely played better at his peak than anybody else, and he's not old and over the hill. Uh, so he's going to get most of the minutes, but I don't think it'll be way over. You know, uh, like you know, uh, maybe might not even be into the 30s. It might like wind up at the high 20s, but that still probably leaves like a decent role for Smith. That doesn't necessarily leave minutes for Galloway. At point guard i know you're a little down on him playing there i think avery bradley is going to be a high minutes guy uh, right. i th- i think he might be their best player i think stanman just simply wants to get the best players on the floor so he could be up there in the mid 30s uh and then what's left over i think Kennard and galloway would battle for have
1: there have been any reports on where jackson's health is at this point
0: not really uh you know, I mean, he—it was such a weird thing last year because he came back, he played, he was all part of it. and Then all of a sudden, like at the end, it was like, well, maybe we shouldn't have brought him back, or like he's not healthy, and it, they just went to completely oh, and, shut and, and him and down. Maybe we a should
1: uh, get a higher draft
0: pick. Well, but they were uh, still—they were still yeah, in the playoff race.
1: Yeah, I guess that's kind of true. Yeah, they're just like, hey, it's not. Uh, uh, yeah, that's joking aside, that's probably not a fair—a fair joke to make because yeah, I mean, they—they—they they, they played better when he wasn't on the floor, and right. they were in the playoff race until maybe like the last. Couple of weeks, I think by that point they'd kind of had given up, but yeah, it was you can't say it was a tanking move when they weren't any good when he was playing, and so I think maybe they felt like hey, it's just better for him to you know sh- get shut down and try to come back strong for next year instead of like maybe risking an injury or, or just playing poorly and hurting the team. I
0: mean, I, I, it was so I don't want to go back too much down that rabbit hole, but it's just to even to evaluate or going forward, what it means, I just have no idea because he went from starting to shut down. I think there's a solid case, okay, he's not not as good as this Smith right now, maybe because of his injury, he was probably still better th- than Beno Udra. So why not make Reggie Jackson the backup? Because you're still in the thick of this playoff race. Like if you think he's better than Beno Udra, then then you should probably play him off the bench. If you don't think he's better than Beno Udra, why was he starting two days ago? And so I don't know what they think of Reggie Jackson. I don't know where his health is. I don't know where his confidence is. Uh, there are a lot of question marks to come out last season with him.
1: Yeah, and perhaps uh, he's definitely known to be a little bit prickly from an ego standpoint so perhaps uh, that was part of it as well just the idea that he couldn't handle it coming off the bench uh, potentially uh l- let's move on here though uh, who do you think on this team is likely to be better than they were a year ago
0: uh, so I think you got to start with Reggie Jackson uh, because just getting healthier, like he, he can't really be much worse. We've seen where he was, and this is so far so far below it. And I think simply because of age, uh, Andre Drummond, he's been in the league a little bit, but everybody forgets how young he still is. Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellinson. I think all those guys are at the age where you can expect them to improve
1: what's the story with stanley so far what how has he developed compared to maybe what the hopes for him would have been and what are his prospects for taking a step forward this year
0: uh you don't, you don't want to save this till your question on uh, who's worse on this team than people think <laughs> <sighs> We, we can do it now, but I won't have an answer for that one. So, I mean, Stanley uh, is very young and looks very young. And I, I don't know if people have recognized how raw he is. Uh, he has not found at all the balance between when to be aggressive and when to be passive uh, on offense. It, I mean, it, like to a sort of startling degree, when he gets in his passive mode, like he disappears. When he gets in his aggressive mode, it's just way too many missed shots, way too many turnovers. And, you know, maybe he can find the balance. He's obviously athletic and has good size and has some good raw skills like this is not to say they should give up on him by any means uh but the progress just hasn't quite been there in the way you hope uh and then there was stuff last year uh maybe some questions about whether it's his worth ethic or what exactly you know, getting sent down to the d league for for just a very short stint but seemed to be trying to send him a message uh and so not necessarily the most encouraging signs for somebody who's so raw
1: 44% true shooting for Stanley and 7.2 PR shot 29% from three and maybe even more disturbingly 40% from two. Uh, one thing that I do think will help him though is that it looks like he will be playing almost exclusively at the three or the four this year. Mm-hmm. Whereas last year he actually played like quite a bit at the two because they had no real backup twos on the roster for the second straight year. And they had plenty of these guys who were play- to play the three and the four.
0: Right, I I agree. I mean, I see him as a 3-4, and they've kind of played him like a 2-3, and there's such a a difference, and it exacerbates all his problems. Like, when you're asking him to be that nominal shooting guard with those secondary ball-handling responsibilities, like, that's just asking for problems. And so you get the ball out of his hands a a little bit, you give him a chance to be a little more reliant on his athleticism than his skills, because one is farther ahead than the other right now. I, I think that could definitely serve him well.
1: Yeah, and it also will allow him really... I mean, what I always liked about him, the hope was that his three-point shooting could come along, maybe a little bit of of work off the dribble, maybe a little bit of work in the post. Uh, But the big appeal was this guy can hopefully guard four positions, maybe even five, because he's just so strong. He's got that Ron Artest type of body and he's also i mean he he was extremely young coming in to the (laughs) league as well i think as he was still 18 when he was actually drafted so there's still i think some hope for him i i the theory of him is really good but then you know obviously the actual execution has been like well below replacement level and and that's obviously something that has to be acknowledged but i mean if he just makes shots you know (laughs) gets up to like 33 34 percent from three and his shot doesn't like look broken or anything right like i mean it just hasn't gone in so far
0: i mean a lot of them are coming uh, on bad rhythm that that he's he just doesn't really know how to pick his spot so no i don't think his shot is broken it's figuring out when to take them when not to that he's so crossed up on and needs so much development on
1: next question here uh, anybody you see as a regression candidate
0: really no and I'm, i was kind of curious if you'd have anybody this was such a young team there was there were no old players if i remember right like baino Udre and aaron baines were were the oldest players last year and they're gone and everybody else was in their 20s
1: yeah that's and- true I, I think maybe tobias harris shot it pretty well on threes last year he was at Oh, no, he actually was only down to 35% by the end of the year. He started off really well, as mm-hmm. I recall. But, the, yeah, I mean, there's nobody on this team uh, who shot, uh, among the high-usage guys, who shot better than 35% on threes. That was uh, definitely an issue. Uh, Langston Galloway, last year, 39% from three. Maybe that could go down his first two years in New York. He was about 35%. But, yeah, I don't see anyone that you think, man, this guy. Maybe Avery Bradley could be one, too. You, you know, if he, he could shoot it a little bit worse, I think he was around yeah. on threes last year. I'm not sure how much I quite buy him as like this great knockdown shooter. Uh, yeah. So I, I, other than that though you're right i don't don't think there's anyone who looks like they could regress and that's maybe a reason for optimism with this team right i mean and just more generally than
0: just three-point shooting and i know that's a definitely the probably the first place to look in terms of things that are unsustainable but nobody did anything that looked unsustainable at least good last year like they were Uh, maybe ish
1: smith will be worse like i I could see him them just not being as good when he's on the floor uh,
0: yeah i i could see them not being quite as good with him on the floor but him not necessarily worse himself I think some of it was like he brought an energy to the game and uh, an unselfishness to the game that Reggie Jackson didn't, and that his teammates responded well to that. And you know, if Reggie Jackson's healthier, I don't think there is quite that dichotomy. So maybe guys won't be as excited to play with Ish Smith relative to uh, to Reggie Jackson like they were last year. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily make Ish Smith worse.
1: Yeah, last year Ish forty eight percent true shooting. However, that was pretty close to a career high. Uh, (laughs) So uh, he. Maybe, uh, and he was 28. So yeah, you could see him taking a little bit of a step back to where he's just more, you know, a lower quality backup type of player so yeah better than we think on this team I you know I don't know that there really is anybody that that pops out to me uh Reggie Jackson I think coming off the year he had
0: like I don't know if he got enough credit for how good he was two years ago and he's still at the age and you know as Kevin Pelton I don't know that about that
1: he was like getting fringe all-star consideration that year so I, I think he okay. was well, I, I think I'll, he was considered to be pretty good
0: let, let me rephrase it I don't think people remember now enough that he was getting fringe all-star consideration you're right he was uh I think people have just sort of forgotten about that and look at him as just like a really bad and destructive player now and I don't think that's what he is like I don't think he is what he looked like last year and so if it's health and I think that's like the simplest most likely explanation if it's health and he's healthy next year uh, he could look very different in the whole Pistons team and really organization could look very different around him
1: yeah I would say actually that probably the national perception of Reggie Jackson maybe is like is not has not gotten to be as bad as it might be locally with people who are watching him every Every day. I think there's still a halo effect from that season the year before and it's like oh he kind of had a down year but people don't realize just like how incredibly bad it was oh, last yeah. year. I mean yeah.
0: you know it's so hard to assess like what people generally think but sort of my perception was the opposite that yeah. that he oh, was yeah. getting blamed for a lot of their problems and people collectively like really thought of him as the problem
1: yeah and people are always like oh like who that's a question i get all the time like who's the most overrated guy on this team or or in the league or whatever and i'm like well you know i mean like among who like among like you know Stephen a smith among the people (laughs) who get shown a lot on sports center among like the people that i actually read and generally i read them because i think they're good and i happen to agree with them more than i do most people so that that is always a a difficult question to answer we've hit on this uh, to some degree on like some of the playing time and, and lineup issues but we have not discussed really how we expect things to shake out at forward and at the big positions so what do you see first of all who's going to start for this team
0: well you think you can pencil in reggie jackson and avery bradley and andre drummond and that leaves two big question marks at forward i think tobias harris is their best forward will get their most minutes at forward uh, but they experimented a lot with bringing him off the bench last year and be just in a way to to balance the lineups and obviously it's a different team now and i, I don't know if that will be as appealing to stan van this year as it was last year but i could see him coming off the bench uh, but i do think I, I would pencil him in for the most minutes at forward so who's starting at forward i uh, could be could be anthony tolliver could be john lure could be stanley johnson and and at least enough of those guys are interchangeable uh where where you you know you can't even say well this is the small forward and and this is the the power forward uh, especially tobias who would you start Ah. Uh... It's a good question. Uh, I'd probably start Tobias. I think I think the n- amount of minutes he needs I- is going to be high enough where where I would start him so that he's not playing too much consecutively uh, when he comes in later. That he's squeezing yeah. in his thirty or so minutes over forty eight as yeah. opposed to over forty.
1: It, yeah. Uh, if you don't start the game, it's really difficult to play more than thirty minutes. Right.
0: Uh, so I, I'd start Tobias, and
1: uh, I mean, I, and frankly, Tobias is to me the only one of these guys who actually is like a starting level of player.
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'd probably start John Lure. just because I think Anthony Tolliver with his athleticism with his lack of height like he can be very good uh, against second units but the jump up to uh, typical starting forwards in athleticism and height is just too much for him so if, if uh, yeah if when Tolliver's you say athleticism playing, I you mean his him.
1: lack you mean his lack uh, yes. of athleticism yes. yes
0: where Lure at least has the height right like that was the whole reason they signed Lore was essentially to be a taller Anthony Tolliver because stuff will just come easier to him because he's a little taller so I think You know, whoever is going to be that other forward is probably going to be a little overwhelmed. Uh, And I just, I guess I trust. Uh, lure to manage that a little better uh, but i think my prediction i think stanley johnson is going to start
1: i think that's actually how i would do it i would i would play him at, at the three or the four and, and then I mean, you really could just have some versatility there between he and harris and put him on the best guy and you know you're probably giving him like the harrison barnes start you know which he got early in his career or or the Demontis sabonis start where you're I like just the like maker start yeah except Th- Thon actually i think was one of their two Best centers, uh, and maybe Stanley is as well, but yeah, I mean, where you're just all right, we're gonna start this young guy. Number one, I stan Van Gundy, I'm gonna look a lot better mm-hmm. as uh, or I guess uh, Van Stan Gundy will look <laughs> a lot better. Uh, we, with the, the three names really throws us off with that coach GM speak, but uh, yeah, like just because hey, this guy, third year, he's pretty young, he's starting and give him a chance to really lock in. He's st- he definitely will, st- I think, be even with you know, some of the foibles of youth their best defensive player uh against the best forwards in the league i thought uh, johnson actually played okay against lebron james in that playoff series two years ago despite running his mouth a little bit too much <laughs> so uh, that's uh, i think would be the the way that i would go and then the other reason i like that is because i think uh lure needs to play more backup center than he did a year ago when they had baines bobon is going to be very limited in the matchups that he can handle as the backup center uh i know in talking to some people in their their organization when they originally signed him they envisioned him playing some backup center giving them a stretch element at the five which they have not had at all i think that would be really important for a team that has limited creation limited finishers at the rim and so that would allow lure to play more with the second unit and i think he and tolliver could be a nice pairing as backups uh, when the matchup is not right for bobon
0: well so i i think that At least I hope that lure would get some minutes at at backup center. I think Boban is going to get most of them, you know, because there are going to be some matchups Boban can't handle and there are going to be some that lure can't handle like on the spectrum. There are going to be some that fall very clearly what they should be of all the ones in the middle. I think they're going to Boban. I, I think they just really want to give Boban a chance because Boban when he gets in for a couple years now has just been so darn good. And it's like, at a certain point, you got you got to give him a chance and say, okay, yeah. what else can you do?
1: I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that some, he has been so productive... Now, he's been productive in limited matchups, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you go against a team that either has a shooting center or a team that has a guy who can shoot off the pick and roll, uh, Boban is just too slow. He can't get out really beyond uh, the foul line. But unless you have, you're playing elite guys in either of those two roles, he's so productive that I would at least try it, even in these theoretical matchups where it's not going to work for him, to see whether, hey, maybe maybe he's the guy who actually can just bludgeon you so much on the inside and block enough shots and control the boards that yeah it looks ugly when he gives up an open jumper but hey you know what like he's doing enough outside of that that it's worth it I'm not sure what the answer to that is but I I, I'm very interested to see uh hope that Stan plays him enough to find out right and so you
0: you can't have both because I know you want to see lure at center too Uh, and so I mean you can get a little bit of both but they're really going to have to largely choose and I think they're going to definitely tend toward going with Boban
1: well and I also hope that Stan would i think he has done a poor job of this actually like doesn't play drummond at the end of the first quarter and staggers his minutes so that or actually no he should play him at the end of the first quarter right but he staggers his minutes so that they can't do the intentional fouling on him Uh, how much was the the like not playing drummond at the end of games because they're worried about fouling an issue last year i know stan even in public comments has said like oh well they can just foul him on the pick and roll when he's going to set a screen or something like that was he still loath to play him at the end of games for that reason yes yes
0: i mean it's that simple yes uh and it helped that you had somebody who was for better or worse dependable in Aaron Baines like Baines knew where to be made the right place he wasn't always capable of of making the plays that Drummond could make but Baines was very steady a solid foul shooter Uh, so that took that strategy completely off and and could you know run the same types of plays a lot of times as As drummers, you don't have to shake things up too much and just be very steadily be there in the right spots, especially defensively. And so, yeah, I I think uh, Stan Van probably is still a little loathe to play drumming now because I don't know what would have changed from last season.
1: Henry Elmson going to play it all this year, you think? Uh, That's a good question.
0: I, I think they like him. Uh, But it's crowded. It's crowded at that power forward spot. It's, you know, between between Tobias Harris, Stanley Johnson, who we both think should get some minutes there, but maybe he won't uh, lure Tolliver. You know, I I don't know. I think they like him, but he's going to have to be better than Tolliver to get minutes. And I'm not sure he's quite there yet because Tolliver is a pretty underrated, but a solid backup.
1: Do you like him? Uh,
0: I like him more than you do. I like him more than Danny does. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's uh, not much.
1: That That is certainly damning with, with faint praise. But I mean, like, do you think if he played this year, he could actually be an effective part of a rotation?
0: Uh, Probably not quite there yet. I, you know what? You know how I like him. I like him as a center. Uh, and I think the word yeah. we used before was novelty. I like him as a novelty center. And I think that's not a terrible thing to have as a, a center who can handle the ball and theoretically shoot and definitely pass. Like the, you could do some cool stuff with that, but he needs to get stronger. We can at least hold his position inside. He's not going to be this leaper rim protector, but he needs to be at least strong enough to hold position inside uh, because I don't ever see him becoming quick enough to be a forward. And so that takes time. So no, I don't think he's ready for that. Uh, Maybe he's ready to play forward and just just be bad defensively, but interesting enough offensively to offset that enough as a as a backup. But probably on a team that doesn't have as many options at Power Forward. when you have Lure, when you have Tolliver, like it makes it harder to give some developmental minutes to Ellenson.
1: Yeah. I think you're right there and you know I mean Stan said he would have a chance but then the signing of Tolliver with the BAE maybe extinguished his path to minutes if Luer plays more at backup center then maybe that could allow Ellenson to get some more time uh what do you think will be the crunch time lineup what would be your crunch time lineup? Uh, I
0: don't know which of those questions is harder because they're both really hard. I mean, you start with Reggie Jackson and Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris. Can you put Drummond out there? Like, should you put Drummond out there? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think because I, I just don't know. And I don't know which other forward gets gets that. Uh, even a, as a rookie, Stanley Johnson got some of those minutes. So I, I think they're comfortable with him there. Does he deserve it? I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, my my view with the, with Drummond was always basically just like YOLO. Leave him out there. <laughs> if they want to follow him 40 times, just go for it. Like make it so much of a farce. Number one that just the league will be like, "All right, we can't have this anymore." And just like people will complain and then just the rule gets changed. I mean, that's that actually is probably more of the long game, but also just I I think you just dare people to do that because I think and especially like if he hits a couple which you know he never seems to unfortunately but you just leave him out there and let him keep fouling let them play your defense really go after the offensive glass extremely hard when he misses let their guys rack up fouls especially if it's late in the game you know that actually could end up mattering they won't want to foul with certain people and if they want to do like some super obvious thing like follow you know in the last two minutes like follow him as he's going to set a screen or whatever you know then maybe don't involve him in the play or something like that but no i i would just leave him out there like he's an important part of the team you gave him a max contract like you're not going to solve this problem that he has by just taking him out every time he does it because i mean it's really more that they're trying to get the guy out of the game when they foul even than it is to like oh we're gonna win this by you know letting him shoot 38 percent. he actually was better last year wasn't he like went up by like 9% or something.
0: He started off better and everybody got excited by the end of the year. He was right back where he always was. Uh, So that tells you how dreadful the finish was. Uh, If I'm the other team, and this isn't just Drummond, I think what teams should be doing more, maybe they're doing this, I'm just not quite noticing it. I would foul the heck out of them just throughout the course of the play. Right? You're going for a rebound, I'd be tossing them every which direction. What's the worst thing they're going to do? Call a foul on me? That's not so bad. If they don't call it, I have a better chance of getting the rebounder or stopping him or or accomplishing whatever I'm trying to accomplish. And and so to me, that's the counter, is, is just be very, very physical with him because the downside, being called for a foul, isn't that much and then that ma- creates some other questions about whether you want him in there at the end of the game if he can't be quite as effective because the other team can be so much more physical with him
1: yeah that's interesting at some point you're worried about a flagrant and also if it's if you're a big man you're more concerned about getting fouls yourself right that that type of player would be more likely to be in foul trouble or sure. be worried where if you're doing the intentional foul then you've got you know a low foul guy as a guard or something who can go into it but yeah i, I would I would leave them out there that that would be my approach I would just say hey for an entire season we're just going to do this and all right if teams want to just follow him then it's going to be such a farce that the league will eventually have to change the rule we're going to try it like you know, because I think if you want him to develop the confidence over like that's not going to happen where it's like oh every time I miss three I'm gonna get taken out right you have to if you can just make it more like all right you know what you're going to be out there regardless maybe that takes the pressure off a little bit and because it's it's clearly mental. You know, he makes them in practice, but he doesn't here. And so that's a i mean many have tried and failed to help guys with these types of problems at the free throw line so i'm not saying this is some panacea but i think you're just you can't be a good team if you don't have this guy out there and you're committing to him so you might as well just like put all your resources into that and if it fails it fails as opposed to just these ad hoc measures which you know don't accomplish either objective really
0: yeah you know what from the outside i agree with you i'd like to see it i'm not sure i'd have the stomach to live through that all the time if i were in charge like i i get that Uh, but yeah i'm with you we're we're not in charge i would love to see it Uh, who, who would you put as the other forward
1: yeah that's a good question I mean I would certainly pray that Stanley would be good enough to handle it you know he would be my first choice just because of how he fits Mm -hmm. into the modern game the defensive versatility I think he's a a better defensive option than anyone else they have Mm -hmm. Tolliver probably would be the other guy I guess we'll see I mean I think he's either 32 or 33 now so he he's always at risk as a guy who is a pretty marginal one in terms of athleticism to begin with that maybe he just stops being able to shoot the ball he just can't move his feet fast enough to be effective on switch or in pick and roll defense anymore but either of those two guys just to to get better defensively I think that that's that's gonna have to be this team's bread and butter they're never gonna be like some unbelievable offensive team at the end of games
0: so I guess with Tolliver just thinking through this aloud you know if you can limit his minutes earlier in the game and most teams uh, crunch time lineups tend, tend to be high minute players maybe that can narrow some of the athleticism gap that if he's only played 10 minutes to that point he's going against somebody who's played 30 then you know maybe he's not as overwhelmed
1: that's a possibility and maybe even bullock could emerge to play some at the three i mean I, I hope that at some point he actually uh can be healthy for more than two months at a time but
0: uh, you're 53 in a row of saying that about him yeah
1: <laughs> uh next question here what are the big
0: strengths of this team so i don't know if they have a strength as a team like I don't I mean they're like solid in some areas and maybe you have something I don't know if I have a strength as a team I think they have a few individual elite skills I think Drummond is an elite rebounder Uh, Avery Bradley is an elite perimeter defender as far as locking up his man uh, when that when that guy is around his size Uh, and Ish Smith is one of the fastest players in the league but like as far as a team I don't know if I have anything where team wide that's really a strength
1: they really are like one of the more boring teams in the league to watch for that reason And there's really nothing that stands out about this
0: team. But please keep listening to the rest of this podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, you listen to this podcast so you don't have to watch them. That's the idea. Like you already already know what's going to happen because we (laughs) have infallibly predicted it. And now you don't have to actually watch these guys on the court. Last year, we would have said the Drummond-Jackson pick and roll. I, we probably did say that in this section and now that's a question mark maybe we can, can get back to that and it also like versatility at forward last year with marcus morris and harris but they don't necessarily have that anymore either they don't really have any shooting at this point you know, they've got maybe one guy who's a, a good three-point shooter uh, maybe if canard plays more you can get to two so uh, that's are, are not you, really are, a strength
0: are you counting they, bradley as the one good one
1: yeah i think at this point yeah or maybe galloway but but neither of those guys are just like you know massive like all right never leave this guy under any circumstances sure. type of guys yeah um i mean the defense maybe eighth mm-hmm. in the
0: league last year yeah, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm willing to call that a strength. Like relative to other things, sure. But like yeah. relative to an average team, I don't know if I'd go ahead and call that a
1: strength. All right. Well, what are their weaknesses then?
0: <laughs> well, on the same note, I don't think they have too many like major weaknesses. Like they're kind of a middling team in a lot of areas. The one that stands out to me, they're not really good at drawing fouls, except for Drummond uh, in his own way. But like these aren't guys who get to the line and, and get free throws which would be very nice uh because we can segue from that and talk about them together because yeah, your next question i'm sure is uh what's the key question and it's shot making like are they better at making shots and if they're not and you're not drawing fouls it's a really tough way to score
1: you know i don't worry as much about their shot making i mean i think that's important but stan will at least always have guys out there who are gonna like stand at the three-point line and they'll shoot it maybe they it didn't won't last go in no that,
0: i mean that was like his big hang-up was these guys like were far too hesitant to shoot he, he complained about all all the time and i think that's part of the reason uh for some of these changes where where i mean kcp wasn't the problem like that didn't have anything to do with that but like maybe marcus morris wasn't quite as valuable in stan's eyes in part because of that i think langston yeah. galloway was more valuable to stan in part because of that
1: yeah morris kind of he wanted to kind of operate out of the mid post and like mm-hmm. take mid rangers more than maybe as just a pure spot-up guy and, and and harris also not really a, a pure spot-up shooter although I, I did think that he improved the versatility and, and the speed of his released some last year especially early in the year when it was actually going in but to me i think even more than the shooting it's like where is the star power on this team who is can create off the bounce at even an average nba level hopefully that gets to being jackson but Mm -hmm. even when jackson was at his heights i thought of him as you know not really anywhere close to an elite guy creating for himself and others his vision not really a huge strength especially finding shooters on the weak side he was okay finding drummond on the roll or just throwing some crap up at the rim and hoping that Drummond would uh, dunk it down or tip it in uh, but uh, Reggie not a great vision guy and so who is going to be the guy who penetrates draws the defense to them creates the initial opening uh, I'm not sure who that is
0: well Stanley Johnson has played the last couple of years like he's that guy and he's not and that's <laughs> what leads to some problems Reggie Jackson can be that guy no he's not going to be a lead at it like you said but I think his ability to attack the rim was so slowed last year and again this type of thing that looks like it's because of injury. If it's something else, it's a big problem. Because if it's because of injury, it might work out okay because those can heal and improve, and he could be back to where he was. But when he's attacking the rim, one that lets him draw fouls a little better, and when he's better attacking the rim. He doesn't need to be this elite playmaker, uh have elite vision, but it makes it easier. Like if you're drawing in the defense, yeah, it, like the skills go together. So no, he's not necessarily a better or worse passer than he was before. But if he's drawing defenders just a little closer to him, he doesn't. Mean need to be, and he can still be pretty good at it.
1: Okay, you ready to uh, do a predicted record here, Mr. Feldman?
0: Uh, No, but I I think we got to do it anyway, (laughs) right?
1: (laughs) Yes, I I, I can go first if you want me to. Uh, Go for it. All right, I'm going to go with 39 wins. And I think that's actually maybe higher than some think like KP's prediction had them at 35. I think that Reggie is going to bounce back this year. I think that just with the youth on this team, everyone can take a little bit of a, a step forward. That Avery Bradley is going to help them as well maybe more minutes for Boban I actually think he could be better than Baines at least in the minutes that he does play more minutes for Luer at at center and I hope that Stanley can take enough of a step forward to actually contribute this year but really the biggest thing is, is that I just think like Jackson can't possibly be worse than he was last year and and they still won 38 last year I think the Morris and KCP traded out for Galloway and Bradley might be a slight downgrade but I'm not sure about that, and and Bradley is probably the best player of that group. So the real swing guys to me, I don't see Drummond getting that much better. Maybe defensively he can, but the real swing guys for me on this team are Jackson and Stanley Johnson, and I think those guys. There's some reason to believe that both of those guys can be better, and that that's why I think they can get to 39 wins, and that would put them, I think, a pretty darn good chance of being in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And and I I predict, I think, I haven't I haven't really dug into all these teams yet but i am reasonably confident that i will predict them to make the playoffs
0: well that is far too pessimistic for me so i have them at 40 wins
1: <laughs> so I... so you want to know what we predicted last year by the way mm-hmm. i have that in front of oh, us. Oh god
0: <laughs> No, I don't, but I bet I bet listeners would love to.
1: Uh, you were at 47, and I was at 45.
0: Yep, uh, which which I think is part of the reason. I was thinking about our prediction last year when I predicted this year, and one of the key things we talked about was this didn't look to be like a team that had any weaknesses, and we thought that would go a long way, that they were uh, you know, not necessarily great anywhere, but solid at every spot, and that's why I think there's a lot more volatility this year in our prediction because that other forward is a huge question mark. That yeah. player might not be good enough last year between Harris and Marcus Morris you figured okay those are two solid forwards this year it's only one and then a huge question mark I do have them at 40 wins and a lot of it's going back two years ago when when they won 44 and they were the youngest team in the playoffs and they bring back a lot of those guys they should be healthier and to me it looks like a team that in some ways could take step forwards based on what a step forward based on what they were two years ago and I agree with you on who the big question marks are it's Reggie Jackson and Stanley Johnson because if Johnson can play that alleviates a lot of Things. If he can, I think they're going to put him out there enough where they'll really suffer for it
1: yeah i think that's uh, there is some volatility there well so what do you think is uh the best case scenario uh, then and and how does that come about barring massive injuries we'll assume that they have you know average health this season and that's actually i think health other than reggie is one thing that is in this team's corner like they don't really have any guys that you look at as like big injury risks maybe avery bradley uh, could be in that category a little bit he gets hurt probably more than people remember i mean he missed uh, over a month last year with that achilles strain Uh, but the outside i think overall they're young they don't have a ton of injury risks um but yeah what do you see is the best case scenario for these guys
0: so i think best case is high 40s where they really are that team from two years ago that was the youngest team in the playoffs and taking a moderate step forward from there i know that once everybody gets healthy they're just right back on track now they're not gonna take two steps forward where which is i'm sure where they'd like to be two years from that you know last year was kind of a lost year at best but in in this best case scenario world that that they just take that one step forward and move up into the the high 40s from the mid 40s
1: yeah i would say 46 would be about the best i would expect from these guys and maybe it's possible just that like and what do you think they would do this year if reggie jackson just had the exact same year that he had two years ago
0: uh Hmm. probably probably about 44 wins probably about right where they were two years ago
1: yeah i I think that's probably right Uh, although you know i'm not really sure and do you think this supporting cast is better or worse than it would have been two years ago
0: well i guess i guess pretty similar like avery bradley is it was the best player between those supporting cast and then you lose marcus morris and you know i'd say overall pretty similar maybe
1: yeah, so I, I think probably their best case scenario is 46 wins. That might be a little bit too low if we're really talking best case. Uh, yeah, I mean, but... have it
0: about 48 as best case.
1: Yeah. Uh, What about worst case?
0: So, you know, I mean, we're months away from last season. I look back on it in preparation for this, and I was a little bit surprised to see the Pistons were 38 and 44. Like, I knew that, but just thinking about how the year went, it just felt so much worse than that. And so if they're winning 38 games in a year that seemed pretty awful in in most respects, like, how much worse than that can they be? I I do think there is a little room to take a step back just, just because you got some new pieces trying to fit in and maybe the blend isn't right. And I do think there's potential for Reggie Jackson's issue to be something other than injury. I think, again, I'm going to say this for the thousandth time. I think his injury, that's the simplest, most likely thing. But the Pistons kept saying, like, he was healthy, he was fully clean. It was something else. His regression was something else. And if that's the case, they could uh, be back around the mid-30s. But I...
1: Well, so KP's RPM projections have them at 35 wins, and that's those projections are usually like pretty conservative, but it sounds like you're thinking of that more really as kind of their floor.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the problem with those, in, like, it, help me out on this, is they're a player more than Avery Bradley, right. who the perception of him differs from...
1: Yeah. Well, Kawhi Leonard's defense last year would probably be, like, the biggest one.
0: Yes, but, but at least with Bradley, it's year over year.
1: Right, right, yeah. Um, uh, Clay Thompson would probably be another one uh, as well i think um that's a good one yeah but so i mean i would see their floor as you know maybe 32 wins because i mean if you think of how they played with reggie and drummond their main guys on the floor last year like they were really bad right and and i wouldn't expect that their bench units especially with the departure of morris and now if harris isn't going to be coming off the bench as much i I would expect that their bench units would be even worse potential Well, i shouldn't say even worse because their bench units were effective last year but i think they'll be worse you know i, I think ish smith isn't going to be have the same effect as he did so i i think that that i would say maybe 32 would be my worst case i
0: i guess a big question is like sub question for the worst case is okay what if reggie jackson is as bad as he looked last year what is their patience for him yeah that's going to have like a massive effect if they try and ride through that they'll be pretty terrible but i think they like ish smith enough i think they would be okay enough with langston galloway playing point guard at times especially against reserve units that that if reggie jackson's terrible like i don't think he'll have the longest leash uh
1: what do you think like they'll rank in offense and defense next year
0: um so what what were they last year they were eighth 24th. In defense 24th in offense I mean, maybe pretty similar. Uh, Their defense, like, I think they hope their defense will be better. Their defense started out better and then, like, slid down to eight throughout most of the year. If I remember right, they were, like, number three for, like, after the first month or two.
1: Yeah, they had that 10-10 and start with a pretty difficult West Coast trip, as I recall, and then... Uh, Reggie was out that whole time We're like all right Reggie's coming back they kept above water at 10 and 10 like all the projection systems had them like comfortably in the playoffs at that point and then of course you know Reggie was so bad it, it tanked things for them
0: right and, and you know Marcus Morris was a solid defender and, and could handle a lot of those matchups that that you're hoping Stanley Johnson can handle this year uh but we knew Marcus Morris could so I, I guess I'd expect their defense to be pretty similar uh overall maybe not quite as up and down but settled in somewhere uh in the in the high single digits and then their offensive rating uh let's say let's say halfway toward league average from where they were so they're 24th uh so put them somewhere you know around 20th yeah well 19th. in
1: theory i mean we're, we're predicting 39 wins if you're 20th in offense and eighth in defense you should i mean that averages out to higher than league average you should be over 500 in theory
0: well so last year if i remember right uh there was quite a large gap in offense
1: that's true at that yeah and with the warriors was much calves, more crunched in yeah. just in rankings that probably will be the case again this year as well because there gonna yeah. be some nasty offenses this <laughs> year here yes yeah the Rockets Cavs Warriors like all of them are probably going to be pretty incredible although it depends what happens with, with Reggie Jackson but or I'm sorry with uh, Kyrie Irving um all right anything else you want to say about these guys before we wrap it up here
0: uh no I mean I think we've covered most of it it's it's maybe more it, on paper the Pistons look like they could go a little bit more directions this year than they did last year where last year they look like oh we know what they'll be and they kind of weren't so this year, I don't know what will actually happen, but it does look like there's uh, some more directions they could go.
1: Yeah, there, there is a little bit more variability. I think that's right. I felt last year, hey, they had uh, almost, other than bringing in lure, I guess lure and Boban, but we knew Boban Smith. Probably was going to play, and, and Smith. But yeah, we felt like, hey, last year because two years ago they were just horrendous whenever jackson was off the floor and so we're like all right well they're bringing in Ish smith they're going to solve that problem they got all the same guys like it felt like this is a team that had less volatility than really just about any team and of course that didn't turn out to be the case although maybe it did because even with the disastrous year they only won six <laughs> games less than they had the previous season yeah that's a good point yeah all right uh, that will do it for today you can follow dan on twitter dan feldman nba it also does some great salary cap work whenever there's a transaction he's usually out pretty quickly with uh discussing it and also with some uh discussion of the salary cap implications uh, so you can follow him at pro basketball talk and uh anything else you need to promote before we go you're out of the podcast game now huh I'm out of the podcast game, although
0: I'm still somewhat regularly on the uh, Pro Basketball Talk podcast, uh, hosted by Kurt Heelan, and he does a great job on on all of those.
1: Yeah, well, and hopefully you will be back shortly for our mock rookie extension podcast, which is always a good time. I always enjoy getting my ass kicked by you in negotiations. (laughs) And given the way the market was this year, I'm not looking forward to having to uh, go against you again. But I, I wish you could be a little more realistic, since you usually do the Eastern Conference teams. I wish you could, like, actually adopt like the way those eastern conference teams actually think instead of your own uh your own evaluations.
0: <laughs> well i try and go somewhere in between but i, I am looking forward to this year to us reaching precisely zero deals <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah uh all right man well thanks for coming on and uh, follow me on twitter at nate duncan mba we appreciate also everyone who gives us an itunes review or rating that's a great way to support the show i use those in working with advertisers uh and also uh our merchandise we got hats available now at nate go to that website and then there's a tab for merchandise on the top right click on that and you can uh Get an awesome dunked-on hat that will diffuse cap knowledge directly into your brain as soon as you put it on. All right, talk to you all next time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this
0: charming devil.